This is the Manga Mavericks Podcast from AllComic.com, episode 132. We are a podcast not only dedicated to talking about manga as a medium, but as an industry. I'm Colton. And I'm um, Ramiyasha. And today we have another news catch-up episode. We have to close off the last bits of summer news before we get into the fall. And there is quite a bit to talk about. But in the interest of saving us more time in the future, because we have found ourselves kind of crushed under the weight of so much news this year alone, we have decided on a new format change to kind of focus on more specific pieces that we feel we have the most to say about, particularly when it comes to our licenses. From here on out, we probably will not be covering every new license that is announced from the various publishers, but specific licenses that are announced that we have an interest in or a perspective on that we really want to shout out. So that is kind of a format change for the licenses section of this podcast going forward, at least just for a little bit. And... I mean, we would like to hear your guys' thoughts on this new change in format. You know, if you like this direction or if you would prefer us to cover everything, please let us know. But for the time being, we're going to try this out for this week as an experiment and see how it goes. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, just in the interest of transparency, you know, like like Lum mentioned, you know, I think doing these news catch-up episodes, I think, would be... Honestly, I think it would be less stressful on our part sometimes if, like, you know, if we if we took the time to consolidate, you know, certain portions of the show like this. Because, you know, like you also mentioned, you know, especially during the summer, which I honestly didn't think we were going to have as much news just because of everything going on. But, you know, cons still prevail, you know, online and digitally. And we still got so much licensing news. Uh, this year alone, like, I think it's safe to say that, like, new manga licenses probably aren't going to stop anytime soon, despite the pandemic. And so, yeah, I mean, w- when it comes to licenses specifically, um, yeah, I, we are going to try this new thing where we're going to basically focus on a sort of finite amount of licenses, like basically whatever catches our interests, you know, and whatever we feel like we have the most to say on, because... You know, that is a criticism we've gotten in the past on licenses in particular is that, you know, we just kind of end up listing licenses and we don't always have something to say about a particular license. And, you know, my my, my kind of thought process on that is I, I do agree with that. But at the same time, uh, I in particular definitely was kind of a proponent of, uh, you know, covering as much as we could because, you know, we also don't want to be accused of like – you know, letting certain licenses go under under our radar. We want to try to cover as much as we can and try to cover, obviously, you know, more than just a few publishers, try to cover as much as we can. But again, manga's just kind of at this point now where we get we get announcements for so many things that like it's it's honestly really hard to keep up. Um and so yeah, I really hope that uh I really hope you guys uh, we'll be okay with this format change going forward. I mean, obviously, like Lum said again, uh, if you prefer that we try to cover as much as we can, please let us know. 
or if you prefer this new change, you know, uh, let us just let us know what you guys think. And we'll go over all of our contact info at the end of the show. Just please give us your thoughts on uh, how you feel we did this episode in particular. But for now, until we get to that portion of the episode, uh, Lum, we do have some news uh, regarding some updates on uh, Act Dodge in particular, if you want to go over some of those. Yes, we do have an update on the Octod situation. Namely, you are unable to read or purchase it digitally anymore, both in North America and Japan, worldwide really. It has been taken down from all digital platforms. No longer is it in the Shonen Jump Vault or Manga Plus. All volumes have been delisted. And while you can still probably find the first volume of the English edition in print somewhere, needless to say, after it runs out of the current printing, it will not be back in print. Basically, worldwide, the decision has been made to completely discontinue printing and purchasing of the series. And we have a statement from Shiro Uzazaki that sheds some insight into why. And it was a really great statement that Uzazaki made on her Twitter. Basically, first expressing sympathy for the victims, praising them for speaking out about what happened to them despite the shock and fear of it, and again, expressing so much sympathy and empathy for people who have experienced sexual assault and recognizing full well that seeing any iconography related to that assault incident would be triggering and incredibly stressful. And so in part, I think this decision to uh, discontinue the printings and purchasing of Actage is to not, you know, trigger that traumatic memory for those victims. And I thought that was a really thoughtful and considerate approach that I am very thankful that they have done. And of course, Yuzuzaki addresses the fans and also shares her regrets of having to end the manga midway. She really, again, puts the focus on the victims and their feelings. She spoke out to fans to not harass or blame the victims for this. It is not the victim's fault. And it is not their mistake that they spoke up about their sexual harassment. And while Uzaki sympathized with fans of the manga who, you know, really connected with it, you know, she cautioned and pleaded against them for using that love for violent means for harassment. And again, to be respectful of the victims and of, you know, the information that is out there that, you know, clearly leads evidence that, yes, this happened and there need to be repercussions. So, you know, again, I really appreciated that Uzaki made a clear statement in support of the victims and pursued a course of action with their feelings in mind. I really have so much respect for how she handled this. Less so necessarily on Shueisha's part. I don't want to give them too much credit because it's not like they made this statement on their own. It's like... Uzazaki made this Twitter statement and then they retweeted and said, uh, this is what Uzazaki said. We agree with her. So it's not, again, I complained about this before, but they are sidestepping actually addressing what happened, which is why I really appreciate Uzazaki just being very clear and direct about this. So again, I have so much tremendous respect 
for how Uzaki has handled the situation and the message she has imparted to the fans to be considerate of the victims and do the right thing. And again, this just all the more makes me hope and wish for her successful return to manga with her next work and future work. So again, great statement from Uzazaki. And this is a situation with Akage now. It's no longer available to read in a legal capacity in North America uh, outside of that first volume if you can find it. But otherwise, I think this situation, how it's been handled, it was done correctly. And that's just how it will be. And it is definitely unfortunate, you know, if you are a fan. But I'm glad that it was done, again, with the victim's feelings in mind. The decision to delist and discontinue act dodge. So in short, Uzusaki is amazing. And, and we support her. Tremendous respect for her. And she had her priorities in the right place. And again, think about just how many people would not say what she has said when they are put in their position. I mean, you can think about so many people because the Shueisha editorial department basically did not say what she just said on Twitter. So again, amazing uh, statement from Uzaki. Yeah, Shueisha really better give this uh, give this person work if, if she chooses to, you know, continue working with them, obviously. But she really, she really deserves another chance, quite honestly. I'm and I think we can uh, safely say that we're definitely going to support that uh, when the time comes. So Absolutely. I want her to have a long and storied career. So successful that Akjaj is but like a distant memory, a footnote in her oeuvre. All right. But uh, I think we're going to move on from that to uh, some of our usual bits and news, including uh, some lists we have to talk about. And uh, I think I'm going to start actually with the New York Times best-selling uh, graphic books and manga list, uh, just because you know we can we can talk about that a little quicker, considering how uh, out of the 15 titles on this list for August, it seems uh, as far as manga goes, we only have two listings, both for the same series, uh, with My Hero Academia Volume 24 at number 15 on the list, which. Is I I think down pretty low from where it was on the last list, if I remember correctly. I want to say it was uh, I want to say it was number four last time in July. Uh, number well, volume twenty four ranked at number four, and volume one ranked at number nine in July. Yeah, yeah. So in July, it also had two listings, but the positions were higher than uh, on the August list. Yeah, that's what I meant. Um, and yeah, volume one on this list in particular ranked at number 11. So not, not really a huge deal, but My Hero Academia still has, compared to other manga, uh, that could only hope and wish to be on this list, you know, um, you know, they still, I think comparatively, this is still quite the showing. Uh, again, considering all the stiff competition between, uh, I want to say every volume of March in particular ranking on the list and stuff like, uh, the Avatar, the Last Airbender comics are ranking now, uh, and, you know, stuff like the Adventure Zone as well. Like a lot of real heavy hitters this time around that My Hero Academia has to uh, compete with. Um, so I don't think there's anything much else to say on there. My Hero Academia is still doing pretty well, uh, comparatively speaking. And it's especially doing well, again, on the monthly book scan list for July. Um, 
And so just to kind of list all of them off here. So we have volume one ranking at number four with volume 24 ranking at number five with volume two ranking at number eight on the list, as well as volume three ranking at number 17 and volume four ranking at the bottom at number 20. Uh, so that's about five volumes. Yes. Which is a, a little lower than usual, but is still about, you know, not really half the list. It's but a, a fourth of the list. Does that make a quarter? I'm really bad at math. <laughs> five out of 20? Yeah, that's that's one fourth of the list. Okay. Normally, MHA does have a higher percentage, like 40 to 50%, but yeah, it's only about a quarter this time. But, I mean, in general, there's 12 manga on this list, so 60% of the list is still dominated by manga. Mm-hmm. And again, like, My Hero Academia only having five places on the list, that's, I don't think that's really going to hurt its sales. It's still doing very well compared to everything else on this list, which we should get to here with uh, Berserk, the Deluxe Edition, uh, Volume 5, at number 7. Yeah, that's about end of the Golden Age, and enter the next arc there, so... That's uh, done pretty well. Mm-hmm. Uh, afterwards, we have Demon Slayer Kimetsu no Yaiba, Volume 14 at number 9, with Volume 1 also ranking at number 13. So, you know, we, we, ha- we have our guaranteed two listings of Demon Slayer there. I really want to see it get to three. That would be really neat, but we'll have to see. At number 10, we have volume 20 of of, uh, of One Punch Man from Yusuke Murata. And one, no surprise there, One Punch Man is still, I think, guaranteed a spot on the list whenever a volume comes out at this point. And then, uh, actually, probably the most surprising thing about this list is the appearance of volume 1 of Haikyuu, ranking at number 15. Um, I think we could probably agree that, like... I'm going to say this is probably because, you know, news of Haikyuu ending has probably gotten around, and now uh, I'm sure we have people who probably want to get in on it now that it's over, possibly. Yeah, I think that is definitely what has happened here. I think the ending of Haikyuu sparked conversation about it and encouraged people to, like, start buying the series. So, yeah, it's cool to see Haikyuu make the list. This is the first time that I can recall it on BookScan. We used to see it a lot on MIT back in the day when we first started out with the shelves. So it's nice to see, again, Haikyuu get some sales spotlight once again. And hey, hopefully it continues in basically the last year of volumes that they have to put out. So yeah, maybe we'll see some of those on here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see if it'll continue. Um, I feel like it's probably not very likely, but we'll we'll see. All right, but uh, as for the last two things we have to talk about here, at number 18, we have, once again, Junji Ito's Uzumaki. Um, just literally probably is just going to be on this list for a, a long time to come. It's just a mainstay on here at this point. It'll basically be the watchman of, of the of the manga on this list. Essentially. And then last but not least, we have uh, The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time, uh, the legendary edition from Akira Himakawa at number 19 on this list. The Legend of Zelda manga always does well and always has a place on this list as well. So um, not much else to say about this list. I mean, really, other than Haikyuu, I don't think there's too much different about this list. Yeah. Once again, Viz is dominating the market as far as this list goes, you know. 
Um, and speaking of Viz, uh, just to talk a little bit about this. So on ICV2, uh, you can find an interview with Kevin Hamrick, who is basically the vice president of publishing sales at Viz Media. And um, a lot of really interesting info about like how they're doing right now amongst the pandemic. I mean, we kind of we kind of went over it, you know, a few episodes ago at this point about how basically th- like th- th- this like their sales are basically up at this point. They're really not hurting for money. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're the number two comics publisher in the North American market after Scholastic. So. My Hero Academia alone is doing really, really well for them. And even in quarantine, according to this interview, Kevin says that they're doing extraordinarily well. Sales are beyond expectations. He also mentioned that uh, amongst like recent uh, titles that they've released, uh, Spy Family, the first volume of that has had really good sales. So i'm i'm very uh i'm very happy and uh i'm very excited to see like how well it does moving forward uh and uh i'm trying to look on here but i know there was a part in the interview where uh he talks about like specifically like what other stuff sells like as far as like uh you know, not just new stuff is selling, but they're seeing like an uptick in like uh, sales of other backlist titles and stuff. And, uh, you know, uh, like their their box sets, I know, are doing really well at this point. Yeah, they mentioned specifically Dora Hedoro and Beastars, our series that had a big uptick in sales. And we can definitely attribute those to, of course, the recent anime coming out this year around the time the pandemic hit. So, of course, a lot of people check out those anime on Netflix and then have gone out to buy the manga. He also mentioned that uh, One Punch Man is also, you know, another pack leader in terms of sales. And Junji Ito, of course, is also a guy whose manga continue to sell incredibly strong. It's interesting because in the interview, he mentioned that Viz had like set like budget goals for their revenue and their publication. Like they had set expectations that, okay, this might be a slow period that we might need to adjust like our strategy and our expectations for. But they didn't implement any of the changes they were considering because even though the physical stores closed, the online sales increased including sales of box sets. So basically their sales have just gone up during the pandemic. They have not really been hit hard at all. It seems like the backlist is going really, really well. So yeah, I mean, he attributes this to people getting into new series they haven't heard of before or getting recommended from reviews. So yeah, I mean, in his estimation, like the manga market has been strong during this period in general. And I mean, I, I'm really glad to hear about Beastars and Dora Hidoro in particular. I, I I was really wondering, like, you know, how well Dora Hidoro was doing, you know, th- thanks to the new Netflix anime. And it looks like it's doing well, like well enough to warrant a reprint at least. So that's so that's good. Yeah, reprints of every volume, basically, because, of course, like it was a series that wasn't quite in as high demand before probably wasn't getting reprinted much but now you're having a whole bulk of people like oh my god i want to read Dorodoro, so they have to uh, rush into reprints they didn't really expect this uptick i think yeah it's been pretty interesting 
Also really nice to hear about Beastars getting reprints, uh, especially since that series has only been coming out over here for like a year at this point. Pretty much exactly a year. I think it was around this time last year where we recorded our review of Beastars with the Manga Mac crew. So yeah, I mean, it's really nice to see that Beastars, again, has been really helped by the anime and we got a lot of people a swad of people like really getting into it and now it's like up there is like a really big title for them i mean i guess also like if it if it weren't um i guess if uh if viz licensing beast complex you know para itagaki's you know prior works weren't already an indicator that uh beastars is doing well then i don't know what is you know yeah, I mean, you'd think. I mean, it's not like they've licensed Omagadoke Zoo yet, even though MHA does really well. Or even, like, any of, like, Toriyama's other past stuff, you know? That's 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 especially surprising. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, I guess with Beast Complex, you can more readily market that as, like, a direct prequel, if not, like, in terms of the actual story, in terms of, like, thematic content ideas to be stars so yeah yeah maybe that's why it's like an easier sell oh yeah for sure but uh yeah glad, glad viz is doing well um i guess the only other thing i'm kind of interested in is i i don't know i don't we'll probably never get numbers on this but like i would really love to know like how well the shonen jump app is doing and how much money they've made from that especially during right now yeah i mean for the longest time, we've just kind of wondered, is the Jump app mostly a loss leader for this? Like, is it something where it's not like they get a lot of revenue from the app, but the app is a useful promotion tool that draws people in to later then make purchases. So that's kind of an interesting thing I would also like to see if they are actually making profit off of the app itself considering the price point still to this day seems extraordinarily generous. Mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, I'm I'm kind of waiting for the day that, like, like I, I, I feel like at some point there's going to have to be a price increase on that. And honestly, I like, mean, with how well this is doing, do they really need to? Like, I think they can take in a loss leader if it really is one. I mean, I, I guess that's true. Um, I'm just saying, I wouldn't be surprised if that ended up being the case. Like, honestly, like I, I think I mentioned it on our uh, on our Kaiju Number Eight episode that, like, you know, it, like I, th- my one criticism of the Shonen Jump app is that I actually wish I could pay more, <laughs> and I never say that about anything. Like, I actually wouldn't like if the price had to jump up to like four or five dollars. Like, I would totally be okay with that. Yeah, I mean, it would be pretty reasonable for the volume of content they are offering. But certainly, lower price point, more accessibility, so... Oh, yeah. Um, but okay, I think that's about enough of the Viz talk for now. Uh, And we should get on to some serialization news. Love, if you want to go ahead and start us off. Yeah, we've got a new manga coming from Aki Dotomi, the artist behind a series i really enjoy extravaganza queen and the iron mask that is a series that udon had released over here and they kind of finished releasing earlier this year and i reviewed the series i really really enjoyed it and yeah akaki kurtomi is launching a new manga in katakawa's harda called 
Sinner in the Seabed or Sinner of the Azor Abyss. It's going to come out in October. It's going to center on a society of merfolk for a thousand meters under the sea, forbidden to make contact with humans, and they scorn service doors for taining the sea. But a mermaid named Joel is caught up in an incident that forces her to join forces with a human man. So a cool, interesting story about a mermaid society, mermaid and human worlds kind of joining together. So, yeah. I think it would be quite interesting. I think one of the strengths of Stravaganza was that Tomy created like a really interesting world full of, of course, you know, these different kingdoms and different races of creatures that all coexisted, interacted with one another. So I think the premise of this is playing to his strengths in a different setting, a different context. So I am definitely curious to read it, and I hope that it also gets licensed uh, after it runs a little bit. I am also looking forward to a new manga from Niko Tanigawa, the creator of Watamode. Their new series is called Kaihin Shugakukin no Shiroi Haru. This is going to be serialized in Shugakukin's manga one app. And it takes place at a boys' high school dormitory for top students. That's really all we really know about it the main character sort of looks like tomoko's brother in watamode but just kind of a little bit but yeah i mean i really enjoy watamode though i'm quite a bit behind at this point it's been a few years since i read it but you know i am definitely curious about a new series from the creator and i'm curious to see how it's going to do whether it'll get licensed and how it will differ from watamote in premise Mm -hmm. i've seen enough watamote to where all i can think is there has to be some kind of angle to this that they're not uh they're not letting us in on yeah the premise is certainly drier than you expect so there's got to be some twist on it there's gotta be some angle so yeah i'm curious but yeah that's it for like new stuff to highlight now we're going to be getting into a lot of things that are ending let's start off with the stuff that's ended in jump recently namely i think we mentioned this in the last episode as a given but it definitely and actually happened its bone collection has ended it ended with its 15th chapter a very obviously rushed ending, but I had to appreciate just the balls of ending on a, such a silly and out of nowhere note as the bone wedding and completely like doing away with the final villain as just like a joke. Like, no, we're not going to even bother like having a big <laughs> final battle. Like he's just going to be like beaten by them just partying at the wedding, essentially. That's pretty good. Just humiliation, though I guess he does get dragged into some sort of darkness that is unexplained. But whatever, like, it had to rush its ending. Junkurazaka's final author comment kind of made me sad. It's like, because he was very apologetic for the series getting cancelled early, it seems. So I, I hope that they're able to come back and have more success in their next work. Like, Bone Collection had its ups and downs, but it had a charm to it that I grew to appreciate. So, even though it's a messy story overall, I left it feeling, you know, I think I understand what the author enjoys and is interested in. And hopefully, yeah, they can kind of refine their storytelling chops for their next work. Similarly, I feel the same way about Time Paradise Ghost Rider that ended with its 14th chapter. 
I think this is quite a shame because obviously Ghost Rider had a lot of hype and expectation when it came out. A lot of people were really enthusiastic about it. Certainly, it seemed to be very well received over here in, you know, our Western fandom circles. But in Japan, of course, apparently reception was very bad, very poor. A lot of criticism over the very premise of the series and its focus on plagiarism to the point that they kind of had to euphemize mentioning plagiarism in the first volume when that was published. So perhaps in light of that poor reception, it had a premature end. But I think ultimately it ended on a pretty decent note for, you know, the circumstances it found itself in. I think the overall takeaway and overall message was pretty strong and as an artist i think it was a good message for sure to impart to readers and to other artists so yeah i think that its heart was in the right place and i appreciate the series overall even though i had my issues with the way the story was developing for a bit of the time it's focused on tepe as like oh i'm so burdened as a you know actual white knighting going on with the tepe (laughs) character but yeah time paradox i think at least ended on a pretty decent note for uh the amount of story it had to tell other series that are ending soon is Little Miss P. This is a manga by Ken Koyama that basically is about an anthropomorphic period visiting characters and basically punching them in the gut. And it's basically a series of charming stories about characters dealing with their periods. So this series is going to be publishing its final chapter in October. Yen has released a series in English and has released two volumes so far. And yeah, I quite enjoy Enjoy reading the series. I did have some issues with some aspects of it in terms of like there was one chapter in the first book in particular where it tried to conflate like having a period and then being horny is like similar problems, which they are not. So I thought that was a weird chapter, but there were also sweet chapters like the little girl who is, you know, very upset that her dad is like dating someone new and so she's very cold and standoffish to like the new person her dad is dating but eventually that person helps her through her first period and they end up forming a, like a good connection and then ultimately it's revealed like the dad and her broke up like years down the line so but like they're still friends like the little girl and her so that was really really sweet that was one of the best stories in that first time particularly so it's a it's a charming series overall i know a lot of people do really resonate and find it very delightful i certainly think it has a lot of charm so yeah that'll be ending in october and the last thing to mention is a long runner that is ending this December. We've kind of mentioned that it's heading towards the end, and that's Uku the Interchangers. It'll be he- ending in Melody on December 28th. That's if there are no delays, of course, since the magazine releases issue every two months. Maybe it could take an issue off, but hey, that is pretty interesting. I mean, it's pretty cool. Uku is gonna be coming to an end after 16, 17 years. And after 19 volumes, so yeah, it's a long runner. It's a really good one. 
I really enjoyed reading it. I definitely am looking forward to uh, completely finishing it once it is over. And this is pretty up to date for the releases since the last one they published was the 17th volume just last August. So I think we should get the final two volumes in pretty short order. Mm-hmm. This is definitely on my list and I, I can't wait to uh, finally dig into it when it's done. So Absolutely. But that about does it with our serialization news, and now we're heading into licenses. I guess in terms of uh, Shonen Jump updates, we do have two Cancel Jump series that are now available to be purchased digitally on digital platforms, those being Double Ties A and Beast Children. So if you're curious in the extras that might be found in those volume releases or redone lettering and stuff, definitely check those out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm glad that Viz is going out of their way to uh you know to put out digital volumes of these shorter jump series though. Uh I I, I think I've tweeted about this before too. I'm I'm really surprised that we've gotten literally all three volumes of both of these series on the same day, and yet we still ha- literally have nothing, no updates on Robot Laser Beam. Yeah, I don't know what is up with that. I don't know. They um uh, when they first announced that was coming to digital, like I, I think they mentioned it was supposed to come out in summer, and summer is almost over. So I, I'm not sure what's going on. I, I, I wish we had some kind of update. I don't know. Well, past Colton, it looks like your wish has come true. Uh, so almost a week after we recorded this podcast, in particular, pre-orders for all seven volumes of Robot Laser Beam all went up basically wherever digital comics are sold, like on Nook, Comixology, Kindle, Kobo. Uh, I'm sure they'll be available via uh, Viz Media's manga app and website as well. And it looks like uh, those will be available on September 22nd. So uh, no subsequent releases for these either. Uh, This is just putting up all seven volumes of the series up for digital purchase. Again, I'm just glad this is actually coming out. I was kind of worried that something might have gone wrong and uh, this would have just had to have been like delayed indefinitely. So for anyone who has been wanting to read the series in full and, you know, doesn't have access to the issues of Shonen Jump that uh, these were available in, you can now buy each and every single individual volume Again, starting on September 22nd. I'm hoping maybe they'll just put this up on the Shonen Jump app as well. I, I'm i kind of surprised they gave these volume releases before just putting them up on the app. Because, again, obviously, these should have already been translated from the days of the uh, of the actual magazine edition of uh, Visit Shonen Jump. But, uh, I don't know. Th- things are weird sometimes. All that matters is that every volume is going to be available uh, so I just wanted to come in and, uh, update the podcast with that here. So, uh, I don't look like a moron complaining about something that is now coming out. Uh, and now back to the rest of the episode. It is kind of interesting that they just kind of dumped both, basically the entirety of both of these, uh, on the same day, because I think we had to wait for, I think we had like subsequent releases for like, uh, stuff like Yui Kamio and, um, and uh, uh, Last Sayuki and Neolation. Yeah, those came out volume by volume. They didn't come out all at the same time. Maybe they thought this would be a better strategy than volume by volume. Who knows? Possibly. Um, it is interesting, for sure. 
Um, but I guess just to keep up with the more uh, Shueisha sort of related stuff. Um, so two new series have been added on uh, Manga Plus. Uh, those being, excuse me, dentist, it's touching me. As well as uh, Hokkaido gals are super adorable. I believe uh, Hokkaido gals in particular uh, has technically been running on Jump Plus since like 2019, but uh, we've basically just gotten the first two, three chapters, if you're including chapter zero. Um, we've gotten the first three chapters of those on Manga Plus uh, just recently. And so, yeah, basically, if you were looking for more stuff to read on Manga Plus, uh, maybe check these out. Uh, I know we will be talking about these uh, uh, amongst all the other Shonen Jump stuff coming out recently on an upcoming episode. Lom, do you have any, like, first impressions on these? I think you might have read a little bit of both of these at this point, I think. Well, yeah, I've read all of what is available uh, on Manga Plus right now. And yeah, I think they're both quite enjoyable. I have more quibbles with Hokkaido girls uh, that I guess we'll go into when we actually do the episode, just in terms of the kind of premise it is, in terms of, well, you have this horny male protagonist, and then there's just this very friendly girl that he's hanging out with, and it's like, "Mm, can you think more beyond your horniness? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Meanwhile, I really find, excuse me, Dentist, really hilarious. It has a nice twist that may take you by surprise. I definitely was pleasantly surprised that the series was recontextualized by that twist into something more interesting, for sure, than I thought it might be on the surface. I also think it has some of the funniest, I, I don't even know want to call it lowbrow, but there's a certain type of humor that i think that it does really well that can so often not be done well so i I really appreciated that Uh, i'm really really enjoying excuse me dentist so i'm really looking forward to talking about that i don't want to uh spoil it for sure since i you haven't read it yet but yeah it's uh it's a real fun one i definitely like the dynamic between the characters in that okay that that's good because i i saw that i i basically you know i've seen the key art and everything and i was just like oh no what's this um i'm 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 glad to hear there's more to it than uh you know than meets the eye yeah it's not an etchy series it is a raunchy series but it's not an etchy series that's interesting Meanwhile, Hokkaido Girls leans more towards it. It has like, though it has more like a sweet bent to it. Uh, it's kind of kind of like other relationship stories, like I guess you know, kind of like Komi-san, you know, stories about like characters you know befriending one another. But it's hard to ignore kind of the elephant in the room of like how sexualized the female protagonist in that is. But mm. I guess that, is, again, is a conversation we'll have when we cover these proper in a few weeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely look forward to that episode because, wow, we have so many new series to talk about in that episode. It's not even funny, but we'll get to that when we get to that. Uh, for now, uh, the very last thing we want to mention real quick before we head into uh, the main bulk of the licensing news is that uh, Crunchyroll has added Junji Ito Cat Diary, which is basically a manga written and drawn by Junji Ito about his cats. And that's all you really need to know. I mean, it's always great to have, you know, more Ito manga kind of available, especially on Crunchyroll Manga, if you have the service, you can read his cat diary. And yeah, again, that's a really nice, fun manga. It's always nice to read uh, Ito's manga about his cats. That's a really good one. 
All right, but now uh, we have come to the part of the licensing news where uh, we are both going to talk about uh, specifically the licenses of new manga that we are both kind of looking forward to individually here. Uh, and I think hopefully this is what we're going to be trying to do going forward is we're going to pick upwards of at least 10 licenses if we have that many. Uh, about about like 10 maximum or so from each of us that, uh, you know, we find interesting or that we're looking forward to the most. Again, uh, as we mentioned earlier, as opposed to um, going over literally everything that comes out, because, again, these licensors just won't stop coming out with more manga, which, hey, I'm I'm not complaining, but, you know, we're, we're basically trying to consolidate, you know, whatever we can here. And, you know, just to talk about the stuff that we're actually interested in instead of slogging through a bunch of stuff that we don't have a lot to say or we might not be looking forward to that much, you know. So uh, I guess should I go first with my licensing picks or? I suppose we didn't really talk about what we were going to do and how we we're going to do this. I suppose like because there is crossover in terms of like stuff we are highlighting from specific publishers so are we going to go by publisher or do you want to go through your things first and then I'll go through my things like well I was going to say if I could just go through mine and uh if if my licenses happen to be you know on your list or if they're or if there's something that you or if that you want to talk about them too you can just go ahead and cut in if you want I don't mind doing that uh yeah I guess we'll go that way then so Let's run down uh, what you're looking forward to from this recent batch of new licenses. All right. So, uh, and, and these are in no particular order. I just kind of have them listed out by uh, by whatever. Um, but the first license I do want to talk about is uh, a collection of 12 one-shots uh, entitled Monthly Shoujo Sunday uh, coming out from Starfruit Books uh, next year in early 2021. And uh, yeah, it's an anthology collection of a bunch of different one-shots from Momoto Makiru in particular, uh, who is, quote-unquote, known for their alternative and sometimes experimental art, uh, which I, I think Starfruit's books, you know, uh, anything they come out with so far, I think is probably going to be on my list just because, you know, from... Uh, they haven't really come out with a lot, but like, you know, between uh, them coming out with stuff like Pop Life and then uh, uh, the new one shot coming out in October with uh, Zombie Sawanabe. Uh, I think they're definitely going to end up being sort of like a a, a Dempa-esque kind of publisher where they're definitely going to go for more like niche experimental stuff. And this is definitely like right up their alley so far, I think. Yeah, it's good to have more indie focused manga publishers for sure. And so, yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to this as well as, uh, uh, I guess this one's already out at this point, uh, by the time we're recording this, uh, The Death of Replicist from Kizit, K-K-Z-T, I have no idea how you pronounce that, um, and, uh, this, this title is coming from, uh, Lilica Manga, which I guess is a, uh, subsidiary of, uh, of Digital Manga, uh, yeah, DMP, okay, yeah, I wasn't sure, um, and uh the the synopsis doesn't really give a, like give a lot but it it apparently it is a yuri series and it looks to be more like a like a supernatural s kind of yuri series where one of them is a shinigami or a death god honestly i picked this one for just the cover alone it's very striking and i really really love the art style for this so far um so i definitely want to check this out 
And then uh, I think we've mentioned Glacier Bay books in particular uh, on this podcast before. They've come out with, uh, I think, an, an anthology of all kinds of like different, very underground alternative manga from different artists. Uh, this one in particular uh, is a title entitled F uh, from Arata Imai, which is basically supposed to take place after the Tohoku earthquake. Uh, that I guess came out in uh, in 2015, uh, the Tohoku earthquake. For anyone who doesn't know, happened in uh, 2011, and uh, so this is supposed to be coming out in 2021 to basically coincide with the 10th anniversary of this very tragic event. And I, I believe it's supposed to be a fictional tale where uh, the Tohoku region like secedes from Japan. And kind of becomes its own country, and uh, it's from from the synopsis I read about it online. This 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 like t- this title contains a lot of like a taboo subject matter, uh, and I think is uh, is definitely very polarizing uh, politically, possibly, and uh, that that by itself makes this a very interesting pick for my list in particular. I definitely want to check this out. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and then next up on my list, I have Cirque de Freak, a story written by Darren Sean, who I guess apparently this manga in particular is supposed to be uh, based on an existing novel series uh, yeah. that also ran in Shonen Sunday, apparently, which I think is pretty interesting. And so, yeah, it, basically, it's it's this series about uh, about a kid named Darren Sean, which I thought was so it's interesting. The 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 series in Japan is literally called just Darren Shan, who I guess is also the name of the protagonist in the manga version, which is kind of interesting. And uh, this will be coming out in an omnibus format. Uh, it's essentially, I'm going to assume, a very sort of uh, interesting, spooky, creepy little series about a kid who joins a circus inhabited by uh, all kinds of monsters like vampires and werewolves and all kinds of strange creatures it looks like it ran for 12 volumes and I'm, I'm assuming this will probably come out in like, if they're doing omnibus editions, this will probably come out in like six omnibus editions. Yeah. They say it'll be two in ones. So yeah. Um, no release dates on this or any of the yen press titles. I'm going to be talking about in my, uh, in my list. Um, and speaking of yen press, I really want to talk about this one because this is a series I've been seeing around all over the internet. People are going nuts for this, seriously. Uh, and that is Solo Leveling, uh, which is a manhwa, actually, you know, a comic from Korea that, uh, I guess is like a webtoon kind of thing. I think I have that right. Uh, that's also based on a novel and seems to be a very popular uh, sort of like uh, MMORPG kind of story. Um, again, I've 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 been seeing this talked about like all over online and like on Twitter. Uh, I've seen a lot of YouTubers like talk about this in like the in the manga YouTube sort of sphere or whatnot. Like this is like I'm I like I was really wondering when this was going to get picked up and who was going to pick it up because like it. You know, it seems like it's been gaining a real following, like, real fast. Yeah, I definitely have seen this around a lot. So, yeah, very curious. Uh, and then, I, I guess just to finish off with some some other, like, Yen Press stuff I'm really interested in. Uh, I have uh, Dear No Man from Neji, 
which seems to be sort of like a, a supernatural high school series with like eerie undertones. Uh, that seemed really interesting. I definitely want to check that out. Along with a uh, golden Japanese-esque, Jap- Japanesque. I don't know if I pronounced that right. Um, also coming from Yen Press. Uh, and it seems to be sort of a period piece taking place in the Meiji era where our main character, Maria, must hide the blonde hair and blue eyes she inherited from her father out of concern over discrimination. And so uh, I, I, I see that uh, underneath the synopsis for the series, it's uh, recommended for people who who like period pieces in particular, especially stuff like Golden Kamui. Uh, and that really kind of caught my eye. So I definitely, I'm definitely always interested in Japanese period pieces. So I definitely want to check this out. Uh, and then the rest of my stuff is basically from Seven Seas. Seven Seas, they they did like a couple days of licensing announcements, and uh, they had at least like one license every day for the past three days that I was really interested in, and I basically have all those in here. Um, the first of which being Super Women in Love by Sometime, in which the synopsis reads, uh, when the villainess Honeytrap defeats the superheroine Rapid Rabbit, uh, she sees her nemesis face for the first time and falls head over heels in love. Uh, so we have a superhero, a uh, uh, superhero story where the superhero falls in love with the villain. I, and it's a, and especially, with it being a Yuri story, it seems, I'm definitely very interested in this. I think that uh, the combination of those two things really stood out to me. Yeah, looks very cool. The costumes they're wearing are feel very Tiger and Bunny-esque, too. Yeah, I, I could see that, actually. I, I didn't even notice that. Um, this other, this next one from Seven Seas I'm really interested in, uh, called Sadako-san and Sadako-chan, in which basically, uh, you know, if you haven't seen The Ring, uh, Sadako is basically kind of the main character from The Ring franchise. And uh, I guess just to kind of read the synopsis here, uh, Sadako-chan is a precocious young child who's eager to help Sadako-san adjust to the modern era because uh, she basically comes out and is now is now in the real world. And so th- this definitely seemed like, I think, something that's kind of up my alley, you know, a, a, a little parody kind of uh, sort of making fun of the ring and whatnot. And uh, I definitely want to check this out. It seemed it seemed really cute, honestly. And then last but not least, uh, I have listed uh, The Tale of the Outcast, which is another series from Shonen Sunday that I really wasn't expecting uh, Seven Seas to pick up. But honestly, like just judging from the cover honestly looks like the kind of thing they would pick up uh but just to kind of go over the synopsis real quick uh wisteria is an orphan girl living in a corner of the british empire at the end of the 19th century uh her life is desolate and bleak until she encounters malbus a powerful but equally lonely immortal uh being with a furry appearance hounded by hunters Together, Wisteria and Malbus roam the empire populated by humans and human-like beasts in search of a place where they can live together in peace. So, this sounds almost a little bit like, um, this sounds uh, not entirely the same thing, but like, I could see this being kind of similar to like the ancient Magus Bride almost. Yeah. Where it's like you have a relationship between this uh, this young girl who has nobody and this like a uh, very tall giant uh, possibly monster like creature like I I I'm kind of surprised I didn't really think about that until just now but uh 
Again, yeah, um, I, I mostly have it in here because it is another Shonen Sunday title, and I I think really anything from Shonen Sunday immediately captures my interest because we we don't normally get a lot of those kinds of titles here. I mean, I guess until now, anyway, which uh, I'm I'm really glad that Shogakukan is able to, like, branch out and, like, uh, license their other stuff through other publishers. I think that's, I think it's going to hopefully set a precedent for other future titles, hopefully, that Viz will pick up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, th- that's really about it for my titles, unless you have anything to say about those, or if you just want to uh, move on to what you're looking forward to. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I am looking forward to a lot of those. So, yeah, uh, those are some good ones to look forward to, but I also have a few additional ones of my own. One of the bigger ones is that there's a new Harley novel coming. For the first time in nine years, there's a new Harley Suzumiya novel. It's going to contain one new story and two previously published stories. basically going to be a collection of short stories, and the new novel is going to be called The Intuition of Harley Suzumiya. And not only is this new novel coming out, but it's going to be simul-released by Yen Press. They're going to be releasing a digital same date as Japan on November 25th. So that is incredibly exciting to have a new Harley novel and same day and date as in Japan. So I already know that overseas Japanese bookstores are celebrating by dancing the ha-ha yukai. So you know, <laughs> I think a lot of people are like, oh, it's nice to see Harley make a return after nearly a decade. Oh, yeah. So that's pretty cool. Another uh, couple series that I'm interested in come from Yen, uh, including Adachi and Shimamura. This is a Yuri series by uh, Tomi Aruma for a story and Moke Yuzuhara for the art. It is about girls who, you know, they're in the second floor of their gym, they have a spot where the protagonist of Dr. Shimamura, they became friends, and Adachi is dreaming of kissing Shimamura, but she hasn't really kind of come out of the closet and realized, you know, she's uh, gay yet, it seems. So she wants, like, Shimamura to think of her as her friend. When Shimamura thinks of the word friend, she wants to be the first person that comes to her mind, and that's all she wants. So it seems like it's uh, going to be a very sweet school life Yuri series. This is like an anime series that's going to be coming out pretty soon in the fall season too. So looking forward to this. Like the art of it looks really, really nice. And yeah, it seems like a sweet series. There's also a boys love series I'm looking forward to called Sasaki and Miyano. This comes from Soi Harusuno. It actually was originally a webcomic, but this is about a character Miyano he spends his days peacefully reading boys love comics and worrying about how girly his face is and a chance encounter leads to a scuffle with his senior Sasaki and intrigued by his feisty junior Sasaki uses every opportunity he can to get closer so this is kind of like a charming boys love series you know about this delinquent guy upper classman is like a crush on his you know nerdy cool high it seems like it has all the makings of a very very cute boys love story especially since the seven seas press release compares it to a story similar in tone as go for nakamura which i also really really enjoyed so yeah i'm looking forward to this one as well 
another yen one I'm looking forward to is Dark History of the Reincarnated Villainous. This comes to us from Akiharu Toka. This is yet another reincarnated villainous story, but this one also sounds quite interesting. It's about a character who has like a dark history that she wrote throughout her middle school, a fantasy of love and magic about the Count's daughter and the knights who fall in love with her. But when it looks like basically her you know, story, her fanfic is, is going to be uncovered by her mom. Like, she panics and she dies accidentally in a traffic accident, of course, as is the Isekai tradition. And so she opens her eyes and reincarnated into the world of her own story as the worst villainess of her story. So the thing about this that really stood out to me was unique was that she wrote this story that she's now trapped in. So I really like that twist on things. I think that's like a really cool direction to go in. So yeah, I mean, this definitely is following the reincarnated as a villainous trend set by, of course, my next life as a villainous that we're seeing a lot of similar titles too. But I really do like the spin on it. And I think it could be quite neat. And I also have a few stuff from Seven Seas that I'm looking forward to. First is another novel from Yoru Sumino, who wrote I Want to Eat Your Pancreas, which is a story that I've experienced in a few different formats in terms of the animated film, live action film, and the original novel that I really enjoy. And their new story is I Have a Secret that's going to come out from Seven Seas in May 2021, both physically and digitally. It's about five classmates who have secrets close to their hearts, including to hidden talents and unspoken feelings, buried pain. And is it going to take a sixth sense for them to navigate their lives so, you know, they come into conflict as they, you know, go through their growing pains and some of their secrets might get let loose in those scuffles. So it's a gentle, intriguing tale. And yeah, I really liked I Want to Eat Your Pancreas and Sumino's kind of writing. So I'm definitely looking forward to checking this out as well. And the last thing I want to highlight, uh, that Seven Seas is licensed, Emi Mitsuki's Magical Angel Creamy Manga, uh, no, Magical Angel Creamy Mommy Manga, that's coming out physically and digitally in March 2021, and this is sort of a sequel that's been off to the original Creamy Mommy Magical Girl series from the 80s, it Focus a little more on Ami's rival Megami at, you know, her idol agency. It's from her perspective about, like, her kind of being jealous of Mommy when Mommy's, like, you know, usurping her spot at the agency. And so Ayase is throwing herself into her jealousy and is going to stop at nothing to reclaim her throne. But she's also trying to be a good senpai. So she's, she's trying to compete with Mommy, but she's also trying to be a mentor to Mommy. So I liked Ayase a lot in the original series, and I like the idea of a manga focusing on her. It's kind of interesting to me that the manga is named after mommy when the main character is really ayase but regardless i think it's really cool just to have like an official creamy manga creamy mommy manga uh, available over here and this art looks incredible i really think it captures the aesthetic of the original well but of course with like modern update and refinement so yeah i'm really really excited for this one and you know i think this is a real treat for magic google fans especially fans of the classics mm-hmm. yeah i i kind of had a feeling that would be on your list and i know how much you like creamy mommy um okay so also i 
I'm sorry, guys. I gotta break our rules just this one time because I totally overlooked something that I really wanted to mention on this podcast in terms of a license. And that's actually another license from Sublime Manga over at Viz. Uh, I don't know if you saw this, Lum, but uh, they recently just announced a a new series uh, entitled Bad Boys Happy Home. Uh, in which it's basically a series about these two like Yankee delinquent type guys who are basically in a gay relationship. And it's interesting because uh, the artist in particular, uh, Hiromasa Okujima, is primarily a shonen manga artist, uh, whereas the, um, the, the story is written by uh, someone who normally writes BL, which I think uh, just kind of... Uh, looking at the art, it's it's definitely a very interesting combination, and um, I, I just happened to see this and like it, it really caught my eye. Like I'm I'm a real sucker for like delinquent type stuff. So honestly, this might be the way to get me in the BL. Just just give me more delinquent stuff. I'm I'm totally <laughs> I'm totally jonesing for that kind of stuff all the time. So you know, and it looks like this will be coming out on July 2021, uh, and it looks like they already have volume two. Uh, slated for October 2021 as well, uh, which is interesting because I, as far as I could tell, it's still ongoing. Um, so I'm wondering how long this will end up being. But uh, yeah, I'm. Uh, I, I I just had to add that in there because I I saw it around and I and I meant to add it to our news pool, but I totally forgot. So again, kind of breaking kind of breaking our own rules here, but I just I really had to add that in. Yeah, that sounds like a real fun one. Looking forward to that. I guess I'll also throw in a shout out just quickly to Shut In Elf by Akiko Higuchi. This is another seven season one that's coming out in March 21. Pretty simple premise. Basically, there's this elf in a shrine who's been there for a while. She's a total shut in. She likes to play video games. And basically, the main protagonist, a teenager, is like trying to like have to deal with interacting with her. So that also sounds like a little fun premise, similar to like kind of other type series where like there's magical creatures who come to the world and get sucked in by the conveniences and frivolities of the modern day but yeah it sounds like an acute one with cute art so yeah mm-hmm. and uh i think that's gonna be about it for our little licensing corner there uh again hopefully this will be the format we can keep up for uh for future episodes i think we did a good job of uh highlighting some really awesome titles that we're both looking forward to and uh and look, n- normally when we cover licenses, like if we have like like a lot, a lot of them, we easily spend like like a th- a, a probably thirty to forty minutes covering all of them. So hopefully, this shaves off some time off the episode too. Yeah, the licensing discussions is usually the time we spend the most in when recording. So this was definitely the area to look to when we were thinking about how to streamline the recording process so hopefully this new format and new focus will help with that but definitely let us know if you prefer this for sure but yeah that does it for our licensing coverage so now we'll head into some industry stuff starting with some awards uh, nominations yeah, so uh, the Harvey Awards in particular have announced the nominees for their best manga category. Uh, those include H.P. Uh, Lovecraft's At the Mountains of Madness from Go Tanabe, uh, published by Dark Horse, uh, along with The Man Without Talent from Yoshiharu Suge, uh, published by New York Review Comics. 
along with The Poe Clan by Moto Hagio, published by Fantagraphics, as well as The Way of the House Husband by Kosuke Ono, published by Viz. Uh, and last but not least, Witch Hat Atelier from Kamamome Shirahama, published by Konaja Comics. And yeah, I, I think that's a pretty strong lineup of comics to give awards to, honestly. Yeah, I mean, those are the best of the best, for sure. So, they picked wisely. Witch Hat Atelier, in particular, I, I've i been kind of interested in reading, so we might have to we might have to cover that on the show or something next year, because, like, I've like ever since it's come out i've really i've seen like nothing but praise for it so i mean the praise is well deserved it's a great series with beautiful art and great teams so i mean i would definitely love to cover it next year for sure as well all right but uh hopefully we can get around to that uh unfortunately we have some more uh sort of uh depressing news in terms of uh in terms of the industry lum if you want to kind of go through that a little bit yeah this is not been that much of a secret to those in the industry. Uh, I've also heard about this for a while, but yeah, so there's been a lot of criticism publicly finally turned around towards the manga translation typesetting company Animaru. Uh, and so basically, first in response to that, there was like uh, Fantasista, uh, Strew, Manga Planet, and Futikia, which hosts a lot of manga that are translated by Amimaru. Uh, they released a statement un- after receiving criticism about you know how awful the wages uh, and contracts are for the translators, free typesetters, you know, who work freelance for them are. Like, after that criticism was lobbied uh, towards Monoclean and Fudikin in particular, like, they released a statement that was like, well, we only contract Amimaru for, like, the tr- translation and typesetting of the works we host under proper conditions, but we don't really have any relationship with the translators, so, you know, we don't really know, like, anything about that. So you just, they directed basically all the complaints to Amimaru, and Amimaru released their own formal statement about their pay rates, which can go for as little as a dollar page uh, for typesetting, which is pretty atrocious uh, so they say that their rates vary at depending on the workload and scope of the project and that they pay all of our agreed compensation in appropriate manner uh so they didn't really kind of deny their rates but they make it out to be like the way they phrase it was like the rates are not all unified it varies based on the workload if, based on requests by the client, the cleaning and drying work is smaller, the rate becomes lower due to decreased workload. So it's basically they're saying, oh, the less work there is, the, the, the lower the rate is. That's why the rates are so low, which is complete garbo, because obviously the work requires a lot of labor, time-intensive labor, and it's certainly the value of that work is more than one dollar. So really, Amimaru really exploits kind of, especially young up-and-coming people who want to, like, break into the industry and want to work on manga uh, for their labor and pays them quite poorly for that. I mean, this is something that recently, like, there was, like, a letter or seminar uh, hosted by the name escapes me, but I listened to it. And basically, Phil Christie on there recounted his own experiences working for like 
these tr- translation agencies to basically contract work. And he discussed on there like how poor the experience was in terms of getting paid poor wages despite the bulk of workload that he'd have to do. And this is like a similar situation with Alimaru. Like ANN did the research to confirm with multiple typesetters that they were paid like a euro a dollar a page 148 per page for translation uh 13 cents per page for quality checking jeez uh and this is for the entirety of a book and sometimes it could go up based on difficulty but only when it came to typesetting on color pages essentially but everything that is not in color was considered by amimaru as not difficult and not worth doing any bonus work so you know that is pretty poor so basically based on these rates project documents from imr say that chapters ranked level four to five in difficulty could include a 25 percent pay raise or raise to a whopping one dollar 28 cents per page and uh, according to documents that were given to nn typesetting project workloads vary with minimum preferred goals and preferred number of pages completed each month ranged between 50 to 300 pages or more if possible with uh and if you did the maximum number of pages completed at that normal difficulty you would only earn 284.75 a month which is not a livable wage by any stretch of the imagination uh like a fifth uh, out of what would be a bare minimum wage per month salary that that's only about maybe i want to say 50 dollars more than what i make at my job like a week yeah so and also of course there are non-disclosure agreements involved with amimaru where the freelancers can't say what projects they worked on because of the agreements and they aren't credited on the releases so can't put that on the resume or promote their work at all either so it's very exploited practices again that are taking advantage of the labor of especially young people who want to break into the industry in order to get a cheap product and a volume of cheap product out there as fast as possible and as cheaply as possible and it is very gross and it's a problem that is persistent with companies like amimaru isn't they don't just do work with uh, Fantasista's sites, but also with Kodansha USA. And I alluded to before in a previous podcast that Kodansha has, you know, had some behind the scenes like shadiness going on. Uh, this is sort of related to that and sort of related to a lot of criticisms people in the industry have had towards Kodansha is that they work with people like Alimaru who drive the wages down and do not treat their freelancers and their uh translators as letters fairly in terms of workload and payment so yeah it is a very unfortunate situation but the fact that this is kind of being exposed will hopefully draw amimar's name under the mud so they won't get as much work or at least they will be forced to change their practices at least you could hope so at the very least it would educate people to know hey don't work for this company that is so clearly exploitative yeah, that that's really unfortunate, honestly. I feel like this really, like, this really, uh, I think, goes along with, like, I think a bigger conversation that has been going on as far as I could tell about, you know, translators and, like, how much you should pay your translators. Like, I know this is a big issue with 
other companies like Crunchyroll, especially like it, it really feels like this has been a topic of discussion for, I mean, I'm sure like, you know, for a while, but like, it feels, it feels a lot more pre- prevalent within like the, at least like the past like month or two, especially I've been seeing it brought up more. More attention has been drawn on this systemic problem that has been going on for a long time, for sure. So honestly, I would like to do kind of a state of the industry style podcast to go into these issues at a later point, if we could get people on who would be willing to talk about that. So, I mean, if you're someone who has insights in this and would be willing to talk about that, definitely reach out to us. And on our end, we'll also try and see if we can set that up. But yeah, I mean, these kind of practices are absolutely inexcusable, especially from a publisher like Kodansha, which is one of the big names in the business. You think that they could afford to treat their localization staff uh, fairly with livable wages and reasonable workloads. So... Yeah, it's very disappointing, and the the more attention does need to be drawn about. But yeah, don't work for agencies like this that are paying these absolutely unlivable wages. Your labor and your your time, your effort is worth so much more than what they are offering you. You are worth so much more. And that uh, seminar that I mentioned earlier that ha- hosted uh, Phil Christie as well as uh, Brandon was on there. Sarah was on there. That was the Sweat uh, Society, the, the Society of Writers, Editors, and Translators. They also had a earlier translation seminar earlier in August as well. That was also really good. That had Caleb and a lot of other cool folks on, uh, like Tristan Felix. And yeah, they said that they would release that conversation at a later date, like the video of that. So uh, when that comes up, we'll definitely like promote it for sure because it was a really great conversation that had some really great insights on lettering, but also like the specific uh, conversation regarding like these translation agencies and how exploited there are. That was definitely brought up in there as well. So, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, d- definitely look forward to that being like a future community shout out for sure. Yeah, yeah, uh, but you can follow the Sweat Workshop uh, right now on Twitter at SweatJP at uh, SWETJP. And uh, I think they'll definitely do some, you know, future uh, stuff also in that vein, in this vein. So, yeah, I mean, check them out. But, uh, yeah, this was definitely a hot topic story. And the, the rumblings of, you know, this conversation have been going on for quite a while in the behind the scenes, uh, behind closed doors. Uh, kind of related to this is actually an interesting thing that was shared by Ryoma Kitadada. They share basically their breakdown of their earnings as a mangaka, basically their royalties from their book sales, both physical and digital ebooks. And it's really interesting. I mean, I think we'll just link the tweet for like the full breakdown of the guide, the graphics, because there's a lot there. Uh, one of the, I mean, basically the idea of it is that it's a guide for which forms of income are time efficient or stable for an artist. So it basically includes a list of stuff like commission payments, book royalties, manga boards, miscellaneous tasks. So Kitata identified royalties as the most time efficient and stable form of income. So, you know, the sales of the books themselves and for physical books, creators get 10% of the price of the books at the start of the print run. While with ebooks, they get 15% cut of the sales each month. And currently Kitata earns more from physical book royalties, but ebook sales 
can continue after series finish serialization so they have much greater lifespan a longer tail yeah i mean that 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 in particular tracks with what we've been told by mr on takahashi you know the last time we had him on the show absolutely uh, and he also shed some insights in that artists can earn royalties from merchandise, but this is more sporadic, and different companies also have staken those royalties. And anime, of course, when anime came out, the royalties tend to be based on the anime art, so and not a lot of that goes back to the original artist, but more to the people involved in making the anime. Yeah, that that's that's especially important for because uh, I, I think it's it's a big thing amongst like you know the anime and manga community. You know, for people who, especially for people who, for some reason, don't want to buy the actual show or book, they they just they just assume like, oh well, I'll just I'll just buy the merchandise and that solves everything. Like I, I used to be of that mindset too, and you know, I feel like the more we learn about like how merchandising works, the more the more we could safely say that that's not always the best way to support a work. Yeah, it doesn't really work like that for manga. If a lot of merchandise is based on the anime properties, and that goes to the production committees involved with the anime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like anime specific stuff doesn't always go back to the original like manga author. Like that's a that's a totally different thing. Yeah. One other interesting thing is that they note that. Of course, the income they get for the manuscript commission fees from the publishers themselves, you know, the fee for just like making the manga, it tends to be about uh, $66 a page for a new artist. Uh, In this case, though, he says it's a little higher. Color pages, of course, can take longer. They're less time commission, but they pay about 1.5 times more than that. But they also take twice as long to draw, so it's not quite as good an investment for, like, time spent versus income received. 66 uh, per page is, well, I guess that's fairly standard, but to, in my estimation, that's considering, I guess it depends on the time you spend, but, like, how many hours you put into a page, I mean, that could, it's either a good rate if you're a fast artist, or you can not be so good at rate if you're not as fast. But, yeah, I mean, he also goes into other interesting aspects, like uh, income that you can get from illustration work, you know, Jinchi. This is also, like, kind of interesting uh, aspects, too. And so his, like, final graphic was, like, a pie chart showing the proportion of income earned from, like, these different activities. And so for him, it's, like, 38% comes from the book royalties, 25% from ebook royalties, 28% from the manuscript fees, 17% from other activities. And uh, the graphic deliberately omitted any income related to the anime work, just pure manga work. So, yeah, it's, like, rare to get such a detailed and insightful breakdown like this, so I really appreciated it. I think it shed some insights as to, yeah, I mean look at this like over 60 percent of his income comes from book sales both physical and digital so again when you ask yourself what is the best way to support the artist it's like buying the books buying the tankobon that is the best way hell it's like we've also been saying like even even if something isn't licensed over here for an official english release Depending on the series and how available it is through stuff like, you know, uh, through sites like Bookwalker and the like, you know, you uh, there are ways to buy, you know, digital volumes, uh, digital volumes of stuff that's even just in Japanese. Like, 
you know, if if you if you buy stuff in Japanese digitally, you know, th- that's at least a way you can give money back to to these creators. So there's that. Absolutely. I think this graphic and this breakdown also draws again attention to the piracy conversation and why piracy is problematic because again it distracts and takes away income from creators but related to the piracy situation is a big update in the sense that manga and anime sites kiss anime and kiss manga the kiss sites have finally been taken down at least like the root kiss sites they're all the other copycat whatever is out there but yeah finally it kind of perhaps as a direct response of like the new copyright law that was enacted in Japan uh, that is or has been worked on like both of those sites have been taken down and basically the discord channel that the quote-unquote kids community ran says that the sites are gone to good the data is deleted they're not going to be recovered so finally they have been taken down like these sites from my memory have kind of dominated the 2010s as like the piracy sites everyone knew about and so it's good that they have finally been kind of removed from the internet mm-hmm. I, I think i saw somewhere that like kiss anime in particular has it has been online for like eight years that's that's insane yeah um, and I mean, nor- normally, I think we could say that, like, you know, n- normally the takedown of these sites wouldn't normally be like a huge deal be- because, you know, just due to the nature of these sites and how, like, basically when you cut down one, it's like a hydra. When you cut the head off of it, another one's going to grow. But I mean, this one obviously is so significant because, like, Kiss Anime amongst whatever pirate sites are out there probably had, like, the most, like, name brand recognition almost uh which is kind of amazing and has existed so long because you know unfortunately so many people were using it but like yeah it's i mean it's a good thing that like it's been taken down and uh, i i've been like seeing everywhere from uh from like different websites like yadatachi who have their own like pages as to where they can show people like hey this is where you can watch the stuff legally how they've basically mentioned that like uh traffic for those kinds of pages have like significantly increased and whatnot uh like pe- people people are now looking for other means to watch their stuff which is which is pretty cool uh unless you live in a country like Southeast Asia or India where unfortunately it seems like those countries in particular were really dependent on kiss anime which you know you can uh, also take a look at some uh, data gathered from anime news network in particular i guess they uh held a survey here recently gathering this data but uh yeah it's really unfortunate that you know it, it's a good thing for anyone who's anti-piracy and obviously i i think it's safe to say that we're both glad those websites are down but i mean it is unfortunate for you know other countries who who don't have access to anime or access isn't as easy for them as it is for us that like well you know where, where they where am i supposed to watch my stuff now like it, it's it it is kind of unfortunate all around but uh ho- hopefully you know uh some like whatever companies are running in these countries will like maybe take up the mantle and be like hey this is our time to shine we're gonna maybe hopefully uh bring anime to our respective countries that'd be nice yeah i'm hoping i'm hoping that 
Southeast Asian uh, territories can get more access to anime, more streaming access in a legal capacity. I'm hoping that this sheds a light on the service issue in those territories in particular. And those fans can, again, have like legal access to the bulk of content that is available in other territories, especially in the North American market. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know if this is something we brought up in our in our uh, piracy discussion we did last year, it, it might have, and I just don't remember. But like, I think uh, one of the one of the reasons I sometimes don't really like the discourse around piracy is because I I feel like you know when people talk about piracy online, especially in America, you know it's it's very it's very America centric. You know, we're not always thinking about the situation in other countries, which I which you know I, I try to be careful of, and I wish more people were you know, careful of. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad that ANN, uh, took this survey because it does show that again, while, you know, the takedowns of a site like Kiss Anime, you know, aren't going to ultimately do good for the industry. You know, it's unfortunately not going to, unfortunately it leaves other countries dry, which I don't think is something, you know, most people, especially over here, don't really think about. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, I think this is a good step towards closure of piracy, but it has left a hole in the Southeast Asian market, and I'm hoping that service need is fulfilled and those fans will have access to more titles. Mm-hmm, for sure. Um, I mean, sp- speaking of anime, we should uh, we sh- we should talk about especially like how much anime is worth nowadays because uh, AT and T is looking to sell Crunchyroll to Sony. For uh, what was it? A hundred and five billion dollars. Uh, one point five billion dollars, which is but a fraction of the reason why it's trying to sell Crunchyroll is that it is one hundred fifty-one billion dollars in debt. So yeah, you know, eighteen D Wardemir, they're having problems, and so they're trying to sell some assets. Crunchyroll is one of those assets, and so they were looking to sell it to Sony from industry insiders and sony has balked at the asking price of that so it remains to be seen whether that deal will go through but it is interesting like i think this is like triple of what at&t paid for crunchyroll when they bought it so yeah i mean crunchyroll is definitely worth much more now as the catalog continues to grow as like the brand continues to grow with the original properties and co-productions all that so like the it's a it's a worthwhile brand but i think at&t is looking at its catalog and saying okay here are the things that you know they are successful in their own right but they are not like the most valuable ips like we don't this isn't like the DC comics library. This isn't like those characters. It isn't like the Cartoon Network library. It isn't those characters that we own outright that we can do all this stuff with. This is like a streaming service that hosts like basically IP from these other companies. And we have some original stuff here, but like it's not enough to justify like being okay. This is the most important stuff. This is something that can be expendable to like kind of bring the debt down a bit. So it's interesting to see, like, where they're trying to mar- shop it to. And if it does shop it to Sony, I mean, if Automation are all back together again, and <laughs> Sony would have pretty much a pretty big uh, monopoly in the market. Not a monopoly necessarily, because there's still other competitors, of course, but, like, that's 
that's a big chunk of the North American anime market. So that'd be interesting for sure. Yeah, that that that's the that's the thing that kind of kills me about uh, this recent development is that if, if Sony ends up buying Crunchyroll, yeah, Crunchyroll and Funimation are basically just going to get back together again, and they'll probably share shows amongst their both both their services, which. I, I honestly really miss those days when, you know, I, I didn't have a Funimation account, but it was okay because Funimation was just uploading their stuff to Crunchyroll, which I have access to. So, yeah, I don't know how I feel about possibly getting back to that again, because it's, it's like you said, like, like owning Crunchyroll and Funimation, you basically own it. I don't know what percentage it would be, but a, definitely a huge share of the anime market. I mean, you have to add Aniplex into that too, so it's like three of the distributors. That's true. That's true. Order one umbrella. God, yeah, I man, oof, that's that's kind of scary to think about, honestly. Yeah, it'd be like another Disney situation. <laughs> I mean, is, is anime the only thing that could take out Disney? Possibly. I mean. Heaven forbid Disney absorbs any anime no, under it. No, no, don't even thumb. joke. I don't. I legitimately never want that to happen. I uh, no more media monopoly for Disney, please. please. D- D- Dis- Disney Disney has enough money. I think they're fine. Thirty dollars from a lot of my ass. I don't think so. They're releasing it for free in the summer too. So it's like, <laughs> I mean, I why did you even? try this if you were gonna do who's gonna buy it now if you're gonna (laughs) release it free in three months it's not like the early reviews are like more than glowing it's like it's okay they've been lukewarm so it's like eh. you should have just i don't know maybe it wouldn't have been worthwhile because of that to put in the theater but i'm just yeah it's strange to me i guess their thinking is like Oh, well, you know, there's enough clout behind this name. There's enough interest behind the franchise of Milan that people could buy it. They could probably not wait and they'd buy it just because they're excited for it. Meanwhile, stuff that they released on Disney Plus without a paywall that was originally going to be in theaters like Artist Foul, those are stuff that was like, okay, this is going to be a flop anyway. No one will pay for this. So we'll just put it on our viewing services content. Like, look, I, I, I get I get that Disney has to make some money back on Mulan. I'm, I'm not really like against that. I just don't I just don't get how you're going to put it up on Disney Plus and still charge an extra $30 on top of this other subscription service you know yeah it's $30 for Mulan but it's gonna be free in three months so you paid $30 to get early access to this movie but if you would just wait it would you wouldn't have to pay the $30 and you only have access to this movie so long as you have Disney plus anyway yeah that that that's also bullshit but you already have to pay for it. it's not like Disney plus is free so it's it's weird. I don't know. But look, it, in in conclusion, media conglomerates suck, and we're very much against them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I, I don't know. Unless you have anything else to say about the AT and T thing, I think that's kind of about it for the industry stuff. 
That is it for industry stuff. Of course, we'll be heading into some interest pieces that are somewhat related, namely some more con cancellations. I mean, it was a foregone conclusion, but New York Comic Con and Anime NYC are not happening this year. But there will be, much like how there was a virtual San Diego Comic Con, there is going to be a virtual... Uh, New York Comic Con from October 8th to 11th. We don't know if there's going to be any anime manga related stuff done there. Viz usually likes to do something with Comic Con. So maybe there'll be a Viz thing. We will wait and see about that. But yeah, there will be a virtual New York Comic Con in ANYC. There isn't like necessarily a virtual ANYC, but they are looking to present alternative programming events before November. So I think part of that is that they have partnered with ANN for this ANN Direct initiative that ANN is doing. So one of those is like they are kind of hosting like a Hiro Mashima interview that's coming up so they've been doing stuff like that so yeah we might see some more stuff from that but yeah uh basically both of these conventions are like saying okay but we're gonna be back next year which man might still be optimistic but yeah here's hoping that we'll be able to go to cons again next year but also another sort of industry related thing is kind of the update on the books in sydney situation with like the titles that were kind of taken off the shelves uh recently so basically, because of legislative pressure, uh, they have essentially not been allowed to sell certain books of certain series. This includes like the first, second, and ninth volumes of No Game No Life. Because basically the classification board has refused to classify them so they can't sell all of them. And so this affects like Aramanga Sensei, Sword Art Line, Goblin Stare, No Game No Life, Inside Mario, Peril of Paradise, and Dragon Art Academy. But again, it's it's selective what books are refused. So like supposedly other volumes of the No Game No Life series can be sold except the first, second, ninth volumes which aren't classified. So it is very strange, but yeah, I guess if you are Australia, you're not going to be buying those volumes of those series anytime soon. So interesting kind of censorship situation there. I mean, yeah, it's interesting that they have essentially effectively banned certain series. And uh, heaven forbid we'd see some kind of situation over here about titles as honestly relatively benign as these so yeah certainly interesting but yeah now we're gonna head into kind of something to celebrate uh and that undead and walk won an award the sugi ni kuru manga 2020 award yeah, I mean, if you've been reading Undead Unluck lately, uh, you, you'll see that the manga has gotten uh, some color pages to basically celebrate this award. And uh, yeah, I personally, I think that's pretty cool. I, uh, I, I was really afraid for Undead Unluck's future because of how it starts off, but I think it's safe to say it is probably not in danger of cancellation anytime soon. It seems to be doing pretty well. Yeah, I think it's a hit. I think it's done quite well for itself in sales and in uh, popularity. Certainly, I think this, alongside Mashal, is one of uh, Jump's standout 
series this year that have really kind of hit their stride and have kind of gathered a lot of positive buzz and attention. So, yeah, I think like especially with this accolade, I think Undead and Luck has kind of cemented itself as a series to watch out for or something that will be sticking around for the long haul. Mm -hmm. I could totally see this getting an anime, honestly. Oh, absolutely. I think the character designs, they're very anime ready. I can definitely see these animated. I would look forward to it being anime considering some of the crazy action in that series. The the one thing I'm not looking forward to if it is animated is seeing the discourse on the beginning of it all over again, which I'm Yeah. Which, you know, I'm I'm totally I totally understand why anybody would be turned off by that kind of thing because it, it is it is a lot to take in, but from and I'm I'm only saying this because I'm I'm pretty behind on a lot of jump stuff. But from what I hear, I I hear the series has kind of dropped that a lot since then. Yeah, you know, it has. It's really really uh, toned down. It's focused more on the action uh, part of it, so it's become a lot better in doing that. Which There's which is still good. Some yeah. elements that toe the line a little bit, but in general, I think the relationship between Annie Foco has been pretty solid. Uh, not as many consent uh, lines have been violated. It's really more focused on the action to its benefit. And I've been quite enjoying it a lot more because of that. That's that's good to hear. Um, the only thing I'm kind of surprised about, kind of looking at the full top 20 list of winners, which and we're not going to go over all of, but it is kind of interesting to me that A Gravity Boys has uh, ranked number six in the in the 20 here. I wonder if perhaps reception to a gravity voice is more positive than we in the western fandom have been led to believe but i don't know i feel like it's also something that isn't necessarily great it's generally a bottom ranker uh so i guess we will wait and see i mean another series that recently ended mitama security ranked in the top 20 of this you know winners list so it's not like, you know, popularity or positive uh, accolades in this is like a gauge of like how well something is doing since, of course, Matama did ultimately end. So we will see. I mean, I'd definitely be curious. The gravity has definitely uh, lasted quite a while so far. I think it could certainly last uh, up to a year at this point. I don't think it's in danger necessarily anytime soon. I think I would sting a series younger than it that isn't doing well would be probably more on the chopping block so uh it's curious i mean personally i think a gravity boys has hit its stride and been quite enjoyable so and i am certainly not complaining that it's continuing to run uh, i think it's been pretty solidly funny but yeah i'm, I'm curious to see what future if there is a long-term future for gravity boys mm, that's interesting because I, I i definitely dropped it kind of early but uh hey i mean if it, if it if it's gotten funnier maybe maybe i'll pick it back up at some point i quite enjoy the flashback to their academy days and uh the broccoli war and that so <laughs> very, very enjoyable uh, uh, maybe i'll pick it back up someday i don't know but uh man thinking about mitama security i hope sudan hatamune comes back yeah, I hope so too. That was a great series. I definitely want to read more from from that person for sure. Um, but yeah, no, congrats to Undead Unluck. I, I think it's very deserved. And so yeah, I think uh, we're gonna move on to some character popularity polls. Yeah, the first one we got here is actually the second one for Hell's Paradise. G Goku Raku. This came out uh, 
a couple weeks ago after the 108 chapter. And yeah, so kind of, I guess I'll go from 10 to 1 here. So we got May at number 10, 4 or 46 votes. Uh, generally a pretty, you know, interesting, cute character. Uh, then we got got it suicide definitely one of the best kind of just this boastful strongman type character number nine toma is number eight uh his brother came in at number four Aza. so yeah uh, then at number seven was tenza when he is the first character to have over a thousand votes uh in this list and then Six is where we find Sagiri. Sagiri's placement, I was surprised. I was surprised she was not in the top five, or I thought she would be, like, number two. I'm not surprised at who is number two, but, uh, yeah, so as mentioned before, Asa was, uh, number four. Generally pretty, uh, fun character, but, yeah, Yuza Riha, number three. She's always great, uh, always enjoy her, and then Xion, number two, probably one of the most developed, interesting characters, for sure, and then, yeah, Gabi Mario, number one. With about 3,379 votes. So, I actually completely missed there was a first character popularity poll for Shigo Kuraku, and I don't know where it is. I tried searching for it just blindly, but I could not. I didn't just find it before I uh, recorded in here. But yeah, it's uh, pretty interesting results. Generally, characters I would expect would be popular, which is pretty much most of the main cast are protagonists so yeah i mean i'm mean, surprised that uh shugen is not on here i thought he would be a popular character i, f- I think his archetype is generally pretty popular but uh, i guess not uh apparently shugen is 13th place okay well that makes sense yeah it looks like there's like two more pages worth of like uh lower tier characters here mm, oh i completely missed that okay yeah uh, yeah, Shugen. Oh, okay. Jika was number 11. That makes sense. Nurgai was 15. Yeah, Nurgai was another one I was surprised was not in the top 10. Basically, the other main big protagonists on the top 10. Shija, 14th place. Uh, they had a good arc to them. Yui, of course, Gabi's wife, uh, 12th place. Okay, yeah. So, some pretty good results here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh, as as ashamed as I am to admit, I'm still kind of behind on Hell's Paradise. But I mean, I I do agree. I am kind of surprised that uh, Sagiri is is as low as she is. I mean, she's in the top ten, but I I kind of expected her to be a little higher too. Like even in the very beginning, like she's she's such a great character. Yeah, like she's 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 like an actually really good female character in a in a Shonen Jump manga. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I mean, it's also jump plus, but still, it's. I'm, I'm just, I'm really surprised with like how well her character has been written up to up to the point where I've read anyway. Um, I mean, unfortunately, I can't really say much else about uh, about this list other than Gabi Maru being number one is not surprising in the least. So, yeah, I mean, generally you expect the protagonist to be number one, which is also the case of the next popularity poll we'll be talking about, which is the Black Clover Fort character popularity poll. And yeah, so I guess I gave away who was number one, but I guess I also still count. Whoa, 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 wait, 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 wait. Asta's number one? I didn't see that coming. (laughs) Oh, it's it's so surprising. I mean, especially considering his reputation, you'd think. But no, no, of course, Asta is consistently the most popular character. No, honestly, I would have loved it if like Asta was number two and Yami was number one. (laughs) 
I think that happened in a previous popularity poll, didn't it? Let me maybe look up the previous Black Clover popularity polls quickly. I mean, in general, it it's like I mean, we 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 say that the protagonist is usually number one, but it's also not that surprising for the protagonist to be lower than number two. Yeah, actually, I don't think that he has ever been beaten as the most popular character in the. Uh, Japanese polls, but that is not the case in the English polls. I guess what we'll mention is that we are talking about the Japanese poll right now. I don't know if I forget if they did an English poll for this, and if, we're kind of recording this based on uh, I'll admit early leaks before it's like officially came out. But because by the time you listen to this episode, I mean it'll be out. But yeah, we're kind of talking about the Japanese one for now, and if the English one comes out, I'm sure we'll uh, follow that up at a later time. But yeah, just to go over the Japanese uh, results for the popularity poll, the top 10 here, we have a number 10. We've got uh, Magna, who I think has really risen back into popularity. I don't think Magna has ever ranked in the top 10 before. So good on him. I don't even know if he's really had much more of a role in the story from my memory, but yeah, I guess just in general, he's a character that has kind of gone on a resurgence. Then at number nine, we have Leopold. Now, definitely, if I was to consider who were my favorite of the Vermilion siblings, Leopold is my least favorite, and I much, you know, prefer uh, Mario Leona and Fuego Leon. Oh, yeah. I'm kind of saddened uh, Mary Leona is not in the top 10 this time because in the last couple polls, she has consistently been in the top 10. This is the first time she hasn't been. Bad taste all around. Well, I'm not that surprised that <laughs> Leopold has made it in here because Leopold did have a really great fight uh, a couple months ago around when this poll was happening that showed a lot of character growth and in general was pretty well drawn, pretty actiony. So yeah, I could definitely see why he has been risen as the major. And also there were that around that same time, there was also like anime episodes kind of focused on him learning a new skill that would later be shown off in the manga too so the combination of maybe those anime episodes and then the that fight in the manga might have contributed to his placement here ranking above his siblings who in previous polls were in the top 10 this is the first time he's in the top 10 but yeah and then at number eight we have luck luck is another character who had a pretty big fight recently in the current dark so no surprise he is here and luck is also a character that in general has consistently been in the top 10 of the popularity poll too consistently a popular character he's he's fun yeah similarly uh gauche has also been a character that has generally been consistently popular gauche also had like a heroic sacrifice moment and then more of like a revelation about his kind of backstory relationship with gray because apparently in a flashback it was gauche actually helped gray unknowingly like escape like kind of an abusive situation which is why she joined the black bulls so that was pretty interesting revelation uh so yeah gosh again also had like a big uh heroic sacrifice moment in like a big fight in the recent arc too so no surprise why he is here uh then at number six we find narrow uh sasakura so yeah i mean also persistently popular especially now that she has a human form yeah i mean when she it's interesting because when 
technically her first like character popularity poll ranking was as fifth place in the very first poll back when she just was in her bird form we didn't know that she had a she was actually like a former human mage i mean back then she was just a funny little bird that kept packing asta yeah i mean this is her first appearance uh in the popularity poll in her human form after the revelation because she didn't end up ranking uh in the top 10 last time yeah yeah uh, which would which was just after the big revelation of that so holosier here we find noel in fifth place which is not the lowest noel has been uh because she ranked low in the second poll while still in the top 10 but you know noelle is consistently one of my favorite characters she had a big fight in the recent arc and recently she has big things i think is still planned for her going forward in the series considering what happened in that fight the aftermath of that her connection to the main villains of this arc and the demon Mechikula. so yeah uh looking forward to more noelle consistently one of the best developed characters then number four, we find Yuno, who also had big stuff going on for him. What, what more revelations about his past? Uh, oh, yeah. Him having a huge, big loss. Uh, that was pretty devastating for Golden Dawn, giving him some newfound conviction and pathos. So, yeah, uh, you know, of course, as the rival character also, consistently popular. Generally pretty consistent in terms of ranking, too. You know, usually occupies like this fourth place spot. But I think uh, one of the biggest surprises uh, beyond, I guess, Luck and Leopold is Charlotte ranking at number three. I mean, Charlotte has always been a popular character. She ranked in the third poll and she ranked in the first poll, too. But this is a pretty high placement for her. Even though she really hasn't done anything of note in the story recently, I think when this poll was first being conducted, maybe the anime episodes where it showed her freaking out <laughs> when she thought Yami had heard what her utter self said uh, when she was possessed by the elf. And then she like freaked out and ran throughout the town. And that chapter was so funny. <laughs> It was hilarious. Like she, <laughs> she ran through a house and she took a baby, and then she had to run back and give the baby back, and then she ran back again and ran all over the lake, the river. Uh, that was that was great. I forgot chapter. about that. It honestly, hilarious. yeah, uh, it was really really good. And yeah, so Charlotte's ranking at number three, so pretty good. I mean, she got like five hundred more votes than you know too. So. I'm pretty impressive, like over 2,000 votes. And yeah, so our top two has been pretty consistent from the very beginning of the series. And that's at number two, we got Yami. And number one, we've got Asta. And this time Asta has quite, I don't know, actually looking back at previous polls, the lead uh, between Asta and Yami is generally pretty consistent in terms of it being pretty big. But yeah, yeah, I mean... It's no surprise these are the most popular characters. Mm, my boy Yami is always second. Love it. You love to see it. I mean, big things happened with Yami in the in the recent, and these two fought together in a big battle in the recent arc. So, oh yeah, yeah. big stuffs happening. So it'll be interesting to see how the English results, if there was an English poll, will differ. But uh, overall, another pretty solid black over popularity poll with some uh, interesting surprises in the mix. Definitely some characters made it in that I wasn't expecting. Some were not included that I were expecting. 
if we if we don't cover the English uh, poll results in this break of the podcast, then then we'll then we'll just do it in another episode. Yeah, that that, that was that, that was me attempting to uh, make a space for it just in case I add more audio, which if you haven't listened to it, then you know, we're probably going to add it to another episode. But we'll see. That's that's what that's what editing's for. Yeah, we do this time for time, but uh, some other short and jump related news. So we were wondering about the status of Burn the Witch's anime, since that was really on the theatrical project. Would we get that over here overseas in a timely fashion? We will, because it will be released on Crunchyroll on October 2nd, basically as like a three-part kind of OVA style thing. So yeah, uh, there's going to be some differences between the theatrical cut and the uh, streaming cut as well, both in the Japanese uh, streaming edition and the English uh, streaming edition. So that'll be curious to see what those differences are, what they will be. I mean, obviously, probably differences to account for the amount of time allocated uh, between like the theatrical release and then also have the probably add wraparounds opening and whatnot. So yeah, uh, Burn the Witch anime come to Crunchyroll uh, early October, October 2nd. So look forward to that. Oh yeah, and I think we can safely say that uh, when, when, when Burn the Witch, it's a manga run ends, we're definitely going to be talking about it on the show. Uh, hopefully within the next month or so. So uh, look forward to our full thoughts on that when it ends. Uh, we we might even talk about the anime a little bit if we can get around to it. I, I think that'd be cool. I'm I'm actually really looking forward to watching this. Absolutely. All right, all right. Last update, I promise. But uh, at the time we are releasing this episode, it has been confirmed in the latest issue of Weekly Shonen Jump, issue forty one. Uh, that uh, Tight Kubo will be coming back for a season two of Burn the Witch. Uh, that is season two of the manga, it seems. So, uh, yeah, looks like this is not the last we'll be seeing of Burn the Witch. Uh, obviously, that means that uh, at the time we're releasing this episode, uh, those initial four chapters of the limited Burn the Witch manga series. Uh, have now all been released, uh, and I think at this point, people can just uh, read all of it on the Shonen Jump app or at shonenjump.com. They're all available in English, and go and read them. I think we mentioned it in this episode, but we're definitely planning on uh, covering Burn the Witch as its own episode. And so, yeah, I'm I'm very surprised. I, I was not expecting uh, Kubo to, uh, to be ready to draw more Burn the Witch in particular, so... Uh, th- this is kind of interesting. I don't think Lum or I really expected this. I mean, I- in general, it's just kind of nice to see Kubo not have to commit to a uh, to another 15-plus year series or whatever. Uh, it's nice that he can just kind of come in, draw what he wants, and then take a break, and then, you know, come back to draw more stuff. I, I kind of hope that's maybe the norm going forward with some of these more veteran authors who are you know, unfortunately getting older and can't just spend all their time drawing manga. So, you know, I'm, I'm happy for him. I, I Hopefully he's found a good deal with uh, Shueisha there. But uh, yeah, if you were enjoying Burn the Witch, uh, look forward to more, I guess. Uh, apparently there will be an announcement coming soon. Uh, how soon? I don't know. But uh, uh, my guess is we'll probably see more next year. Uh some sometime next year, I guess. I I can't see us getting any more this year, but uh, I don't know. I guess we'll have to see. 
Um, so I guess look forward to that and also look forward to our upcoming Burn the Witch episode. Uh, and with that, back to the show. And I guess our last piece of news is sort of industry-related, but sort of miscellaneous-related. It's, it's, it's a biggin. It's a sort of biggin. Maybe, I don't know if it is. It's something that you gotta wait and see to see like how it's gonna be addressed. I just meant that it could lead to a bigger discussion, is all I meant. It absolutely fits into a bigger discussion, for sure. Uh, maybe not necessarily in the manga space, but definitely in the animation community space. About, you know, diversity, not just on screen, but behind the scenes. Like, who is getting staffed, who is getting the opportunities to create their stories, tell their stories. So recently, a animator called Sarah Aza, they wrote a Twitter thread that basically kind of spilled the tea on you know they tried to pitch a show that they were working on to Crunchyroll and basically uh, executive at Crunchyroll who was reviewing the thing was like saying that they were kind of less inclined now to fund shows that feature quote unquote diversity themes because of backlash to a show that they promoted that spotlighted those themes in the forefront and it really did not take a whole lot for people to figure out that they were talking about Crunchyroll and they were talking about High Guardian Spice. Now, I think a lot of what uh, the person alleged in terms of like the creative staff and their intentions was very unfair because obviously they don't have a control over how a series is promoted or marketed and certainly it wasn't like that the creator was not a person of color or not part of the LGBTQ community. So that was quite unfair uh, to label at that. Like, it definitely was coming from an authentic place there. But still, it does raise an issue of, like, these companies kind of really being fickle and noncommittal towards creating stories that feature and are made by a wide variety of people and telling a wide variety of stories. So, I mean, this is a bigger problem in the industry in general, the animation industry, about the lack of people of color in the industry uh, and in writers' rooms uh, and also kind of how that lack of representation in the creative staff can lead to you know, some toxic workplaces for people of color animators who are working there and also some very mixed or poor representation on screen or poorer sensitivity towards racial issues. There was a big kerfuffle recently about a very poor taste joke uh, the showrunner of She-Ra made on a, like a Twitch live stream that she has come out and apologized for and is working to make amends and undergo sensitivity training for. So that is good that she's doing the work to you know better herself. And then also, more importantly, she said that she's going to use opportunities to uplift and uh, hire more people of color, animators, writers, staffers. So that's also the important thing here. But, uh, yeah, so with this situation, I mean, obviously High Guardian Spice, since it was promoted, has been an unfair target of backlash and hate. And so I feel like a lot of people latched onto this uh, animator's, like, kind of poor experience pitching their project to double down on that hate to the unfair expense of the creative staff working on the show. 
However, I do think it is worth raising concerns if an executive did indeed say that, that Crunchyroll is maybe not as committed to creating diverse stories by uh, diverse creators as they have promised and they are promoting themselves as being and that is worth concern and that's like something that hopefully we will wait and see and hopefully that is not the case uh truly i mean in general what they should do is like better promote the their series to focus on what makes the series good rather than like make more promotional videos that would obviously draw the ire of bad people who will make arguments in bad fate. Like yeah. it's you shouldn't I personally didn't think there was anything wrong with the trailer that they originally did for Kai Getting Twice other than kind of the obvious thing that obviously you know the people who want to find something to hate on the show to latch onto would pick apart, which is like promoting a series that has you know diversity in it but then saying that the writer's room was mostly women which is like counter to that narrative so like obviously there were some messages in there that was like no you are leaving too many openings for these bad fate haters to criticize a series they have not even seen yet which is really unfortunate personally i i still want to watch high guardian spies i hope crunchyroll finally releases it at some point point there's been so many weird behind the scenes things about them not releasing it i think because the backlash was so strong it's really disappointing to hear that crunchyroll apparently took the wrong message from that backlash it's not the show it's it's the the people complaining about this show in particular weren't gonna watch it in the first place exactly i mean you can't be scared off from attempting projects like that just because of those bad fate actors and people who will just rant up a storm just to hate on something that they don't want to watch that isn't for them then in that case and they don't have to watch and they don't have to take that away from the people who will find that meaningful so Mm -hmm. yeah it's it's really unfortunate all around that uh definitely are taking the wrong messages like oh we shouldn't dabble in anything diverse ever because people don't like diversity which definitely is not true yeah i i i mean look i we could we could probably easily spend like another uh we could we could spend an entire podcast on just this alone like i i feel like there like i was saying earlier there's there's definitely room for this to be a bigger discussion about diversity and like uh how these companies like you know uh you know try to advertise it and like the like the like the psychology almost of like promoting a thing as diverse and how you know unfortunately the certain groups of people will take that as like oh they're just trying to lecture me or whatever just like it, it, this is this is a whole discussion with a lot of layers that uh i mean unfortunately i, I don't think we really have the time in this podcast to unpack but i mean like maybe maybe on another show honestly like again like i said this could be an entire podcast on its own um but yeah it it, it is a shame because like you know like like the wor- the worst case scenario is that like uh p- people are all up in arms over a show that might not even end up being worth it like it could easily be like a, a middle of the road okay show and it's and you know at the end of the day you know people will be up in arms over something that may not be worth it we have no idea what the actual quality of this thing could be 
which I think is totally unfair. Yeah, so that's definitely a conversation we can expand on, and I think has said and can be discussed on other avenues as well, so we will see what we can do with that. I mean, maybe when the time High Guardian Spice does need to come out would be a good time to have uh, that conversation. Mm Mm-hmm. But as for right now, we're sort of winding down now. We've kind of gone through the news, so we will get into some community shoutouts for some more things to check out. And this time I have a few podcasts, vlogs, some stray review things from peeps that I want to highlight. Recently we recorded a podcast with the good folks from Tomo Chaco, and I don't remember if I've shouted them out on the show before, even though I've been following for a while. So I definitely do. They're a Yuri-focused show hosted by Kim and Sarah. They basically cover a Yuri series on every episode, a different series each time. In March, they do like a March uh, manga madness kind of thing where they review a new series every week, uh, which differs from their normal format of bi-weekly. Uh, they've covered a lot of great series. There are Dreams and Dust discussions are... Some of the best that they've done. I really love those in particular. And yeah, they're just in general a great show, a great discussion, spotlighting all sorts of your titles from pretty much every publisher. So definitely check them out. Really great work. Uh, for other cool stuff from career creators, uh, I definitely want to shout out Jesse uh, Noah King's uh, Pink Blue Vlogs. There you have a, their own vlog channel. You may know them. Uh, they previously uh, did some abridging work at other places. I won't promote because the story behind that is not great, but they currently work with Team Four Star, and they do some good vlogs now. Like again, this Pink Blue series they do basically goes over kind of their experiences as they've been transitioning, covering a lot of different experiences as they kind of ha- are navigating now, having transitioned into being a man and kind of their new experiences, navigating dating apps and sex and all that. One of the, like the bigger of vlog stories, of course, is that. I'm discussing their re- traumas and specifically their, their relationship with their abusive ex, which, you know, is a very uh, uncomfortable and saddening story. But I think it is really uh, valuable and a good listen to kind of, you know, hear his story out and see kind of like how someone can recognize the warning signs of an abusive relationship and uh, get out of it. So I appreciate that a lot. I mean, he also makes some really good videos like calling out issues of, you know, people willfully misgendering uh, trans folks and why that is shitty. So I appreciate that. Also, some media commentaries like discussing some problems that he had with uh, Harley Quinn, particularly some of the jokes uh, at the expense of Jewish characters in that series, which is definitely a surprising thing I noticed in that as well, which I thought was good pointing out. So in general, I think he does some really great vlogs and I really enjoy his work. So definitely want to shout out his channel. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, I, I myself, I, re- I remember following uh, Nowacking from, uh, from way early on when they, uh, when they used to do uh, their own Boba Boba Bridge series, like way, way, yeah. way back. Um, so, yeah, I've de- I've definitely enjoyed his stuff, and uh, definitely a big shout out to him. Hope he's doing well, and I really want to wish him luck in uh, whatever he does. So, yeah, I mean, he's gotten really fit. Like it seems like his fitness journey has been really cool during quarantine. So, yeah, that's what you would call a glow up, honestly. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. 
And Terrence are another cool uh, podcast from queer creators, trans creators in particular. It's a Ron the Half podcast called Half uh, Podcast, hosted by two trans women. And this is really great. It's their first experience is going through Ronma, a series that, of course, has meant so much to queer fans, especially trans fans. And they are basically watching it for the first time, relating their own experience through it. And I really enjoying their perspective on the series as they've been going through it. So they're kind of almost done with like the original 18 episode run as they're going to be headed into like the Neto Hen stuff, uh, season two beyond stuff soon. So definitely check them out. Really, really appreciate again, uh, Ron the podcast from trans perspectives. Oh man. Yeah. I'm, I'm definitely going to be listening to that as soon as I start my own Rama watch one of these days. Similarly, uh, well, on the subject of Rama Half, rather, what a cartoon did a really good episode on Rama Half with my tool oh, that, that was I good, really yeah. liked. It had a great historical background of Rama as a series, its role in the 90s, how kind of integral it was to anime's rise in the 90s in terms of especially being Viz's kind of big title that really, you know, helped them make their bread for the longest time, both on the anime and the manga space. And in general, uh, what a phenomenon was. So, yeah, I really appreciate that episode. I kind of wish they had talked about the episode after uh, the one they discussed, because, you know, the one they discussed, you know, it's it's the first big fight between Rama and Yoga and whatnot, but it's like the one after that that's dealing with like Akane's, you know, reaction to her hair being cut and her character development that I thought was really uh, great. But still, I think the historical discussion and the analysis of the episode that they did was really good. Really, any podcast with Mike Tool is like is is always worth listening. I thought he brought a lot of great insight in particular as well. So, oh, absolutely. I also want to shout out on the three podcast. You know, Hoven's podcast series, Hoven's Hideaway. He basically does it with the former Stammer Stream crew, you know, Vensleydale, Nova Grail, those good folks. And they cover all sorts of different topics. Uh, uh, one episode I would like to highlight is his episode on his favorite podcast, which highlights like a lot of great recommendations. And he gave us a shout out. So I definitely want to thank him for that. Oh, yeah. But he's. Yeah, but he's also done a lot of good uh, episodes on uh, series like Kaiju Number 8, Promised Neverland, Food Wars, so definitely a lot to check out and enjoy there. Again, it's basically like the second coming of the Samurai Street Podcast. It's basically all those good folks together, so always good to see that crew discuss series. And I'd also like to shout out uh, the latest One Piece podcast, Fight Together episode on Art and Artists. That was a really awesome discussion. They just got a huge group of artists who you know have done fan art of one piece or are just professionals in the industry or fans of one piece they just talk about like their experiences as artists how one piece inspired them what they've noticed about Oda's art what they've learned from it and the stuff that they find uh problems with now you know well, going into questions about like uh or conversations about of course like how Oda's raw women and conversations like that you know really not being afraid to kind of criticize some aspects of Oda's art but also uh, talk about where he excels at and what has inspired them so that was a really great podcast because i was i really admire all of those guys and their art the work they do so yeah it was a really fun conversation uh to hear about and learn about i heard like i saw someone on twitter saying man they should do like a second episode on this subject because i feel like there's even more to say and i would definitely agree i would like a second like art focused uh one piece episode of the fight together series 
I hope if they do, and I don't know if maybe this is just a nitpick on my part, but I kind of hope if they do do another art episode, I hope they're able to uh, they're able to maybe seek out other artists who maybe haven't been on the show possibly mm, that'd it, be cool it, it would like as much as i love you know like steve it and was Cy, the usual crew yeah that is true i mean i don't feel we see here sigh on the show as much so no nice that, that's true her, that's true you are right that it, the rest of the crew were the usual folks that are regulars on the show which i mean i love all those guys here and all those guys oh, same, yeah. talk about their art but i do think yeah it'd be cool to hear uh, other perspectives as well in the future installments for sure uh, but related to that, you know, Maddie was on that episode. I've really been enjoying Maddie's Hunter Hunter draw through tread. Oh, she's basically same. been yeah. drawing st- like stuff that she's really liked in Hunter Hunter, like cute little images, like jokey things, cute things uh, inspired by her Hunter Hunter watch. Like one of my favorites is like when they encounter Hisoka naked and she has drawn, she draws like Bisky like really wide eyed, like, oh, respect, like her caption was respectfully looking. <laughs> like uh it was pretty cute and funny uh, and so she's basically started on Khmer and stuff now uh so i'm gonna be interested in what art comes out of that but yeah in general she's drawn some really really great pieces and uh yeah definitely check that out for some really cute hunter hunter arc like another one i really like is the recent one where it's like Killua and uh going in like these baggy pants it's, it's just cute it's just cute stuff or the one where like uh hisoka was fighting well, i forget what that dude's name in the uh power of heaven or like heaven's arena arc was but it was like a basketball court. He was dunked this guy's arm into the basketball hoop that was like a funny take on that fight uh too so i I like a lot of really good pieces in that Mm -hmm. yeah i i definitely enjoy maddie's art just in general i always retweet retweet her stuff when i can so absolutely as far as other uh twitter threads go definitely i want to shout out sarah Lindsay lee's letterer spotlight thread uh she did on uh letterer's appreciation day which is september 1st which you know went into the work of a lot of great letterers in the biz right now you know spotlighting their crafts and the series they work on in general you should be following sarah's twitter because she every weekend every saturday basically goes through a book and spotlights like the lettering in that book so it's really informative insightful to hear her perspective on the lettering of different series and how different letters approach their comics so i really appreciate that i think it's really awesome so definitely check that out and uh, in terms of some other stray stuff, I want to shout out Caitlin Moore's review of Blank Canvas on ANN. That's a series that we've got a podcast uh, recorded on that will release later this year, which you can listen to right now on our Patreon. But I think Caitlin's review was also really great at getting into the heart of that series, customers, teams, and experiences. And I really enjoyed reading it, so I wanted to shout her out. And I also wanted to close off by... Give me a shout out to, I guess this isn't a story we mentioned, maybe we should have, but like recently there was this big uh, kerfuffle because Retro Crush used fan subs for uh, Pastel Yumi because they only got like the first 15 episodes from the licensor, so they used the fan subs for the rest of the show from Johnny English, but then they, of course, were found out and they had to take the entire show down because obviously they, they can't do that, but 
yeah, George Horvat from Land of Obsusion kind of took this as an Uber to discuss like kind of the merits of and against using fansos for official anime releases, which I thought was a really good kind of look back into the historical like function of fansubs in um uh, the community, the anime community, how they've been distributed in the past, why they fell out of favor as official releases came out and how the fan sub community has kind of refocused itself to like the really obscure niche series that are not going to be, you know, done by the companies probably anytime soon, like classic Chibi Maruko or uh, Gusty Frog or stuff like that. And so, yeah, George kind of goes into the process of like, how would you even go about like buying fan subs and using them for official releases and whether that'd be a good idea to do for and when it would be just a good idea to just really go ahead and, you know, just actually pay for the <laughs> a new translation official subs. Uh, there's an interesting comment from Sam Pinaninsky, who runs J Novel Club, on this article, too, kind of mentioning some of the background that George uh, outlined in the video. But, uh, yeah, in terms of, like, using fan subs uh, for J Novel Club and, like, the process they went of, like, buying those translation drafts and re-editing them for their official releases. So it's, it's pretty interesting insights into that process. So, and it, into the, and it's generally a pretty interesting kind of musing on like how you would go about doing it when it's ethical to do so, when it'd be appropriate to do so and when it's not, which in the retro crush case, it really was not. I mean, especially since they took, they basically stole the fan subs from, this this company so it's it's really not i mean they stole the fans from this fan sub group which is really what these piracy sites like kiss anime do so it's not terribly ethical it's not a good look no that's not a good look and that's really unfortunate because like i really want to support retro crush i think they're doing good work otherwise but oof, i just i i don't know who thought that was a good idea it was a very surprising uh, misstep on their part. And we'll see what will happen with uh, that Pastel Yumi license, whether they're even going to be able to release that show at all at this point, uh, if they've really pissed off the licensor. Yeah, I, like, I can only imagine how, you know, the people on the Japanese side feel. Like, that That must have... I Like, if, if I were the licensor, I'd be pissed. Yeah. So we will see how that situation pans out, but definitely check out George's uh, article and Sam Pinaninsky's, uh comment on that article because they were very interesting reads. But that does it for the community shout outs for this episode, and I think we'll wrap up the show now. Uh-huh, yeah. Uh, I think this was a pretty good episode. I... I'm I'm already feeling a difference with like how how much time we've shaved within the licensing uh, news in particular because I'll be perfectly honest. Sometimes when we record a news episode, you know, uh, like I mentioned, part of the reason I get so exhausted at the thought of those is because oh man, we usually have oh like twenty million different licenses to go through, and I gotta be honest, I like recording this episode is already like such a f- like a breath of fresh air compared to when we usually record news episodes because it's like 
after we get done with like 40 minutes worth of licensing talk or whatever, I like I'm I'm usually all out of energy for like the industries like like the actual really important news we talk about sometimes, which you know, I I I don't really like to admit, but like it's kind of the truth and like I'm I'm glad I'm glad we did what we did with this episode because I feel like I was a little more engaged with like uh with a lot of the industry stuff this time around. Uh which which I think is pretty good. Yeah, I can definitely agree with that. I mean we still ended up recording for quite a while, but I think we definitely by focusing on the stuff we are most engaged with, we stayed more engaged with the conversations all the way through, which you know, yeah, I would agree. Sometimes a licensing discussions, especially when we're talking about some series that we can't truly say we're that enthusiastic for you know it's not necessarily because the series themselves are bad or sandbag just because we're not necessarily the most excited for them yeah it can be kind of a drag especially if there's a lot of stuff like that yeah and you know i i i I hopefully if we can keep doing this in the future it'll make news episodes in general feel like less of a slog which uh sometimes they can be but uh yeah, no, I think I, I think this one turned out pretty well. And uh, please let us know what you thought about this particular news episode, especially when it came to the licensing section. Uh, let us know if uh, if that's the way you want us to handle licensing from now on, or or if or if you miss us just listing a bunch of licenses for forty minutes or whatever. You know, like we're we're definitely looking for feedback on this episode in particular, and uh, I think we'll get into where they can contact us as soon as Lum tells us where they can find their stuff. You can find me at Lumrayasha on Twitter and Lumrayasha has a variety of places like Animation Revelation Analyst where there's a Lumrayasha that's where you can find me. You can also read my manga reviews on all.com. we got a lot of books coming in, a lot coming out. Uh, and So look forward to more stuff on there. And of course, all.com is where you can find the other related shows to this podcast like Lum Squad, the Year's Sounds Focus podcast I do with my friend AC, and Manga Rose and Movies, Manga Fights, all that stuff you can find on there. And also basically the Manga Rex podcast feed in general, like it's all on there as well. All right. Uh, as for me, I'm Colton. You can find me on Twitter at SniperKing323. I also host a few other podcasts uh, on the side here on my own, uh, which you can find links to over at coltoncorner.wordpress.com. Uh, I I do a lot of podcasts, especially uh, with the Ask Backwards Anime Podcasting Network, the SSAA Network, uh, including but not limited to One Podcast Prevails, which is a podcast I record with my friend Doc about Detective Conan slash Case Closed. And uh, again, anything else that... Uh, you may be interested in again. I have links to uh, at my dedicated podcast page at coltoncorner.wordpress.com. Uh, but as for Manga Mavericks and all comic, uh, really, you could find every episode of the Manga Mavericks podcast here on uh, all-comic.com. This is where we post every episode first, unless you subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com/slash Manga Mavericks. Uh, Love mentioned earlier, but, uh, you know, if you sign up for our $2 tier, you will basically have access to early editions of the podcast, uh, depending on when we have them edited and how early we have them edited. Um, at this point in time, we have five episodes of the podcast, uh, that have not been released yet on, uh, on the main feed. Uh, we're still looking for dates to kind of like, uh, put those up on the main feed, but until then, 
Um, you have basically five extra episodes of the podcast you can listen to right now, such as uh, discussions on series like Our Dreams at Dusk or uh, Blank Canvas and interviews with other uh, folks from the industry, such as Anishi and uh, Jocelyn Allen. I think that was on the same episode, actually, but still. Um, yeah, just, just a lot of extra bonus content that we haven't even put up yet, again, is all waiting for you at the $2 tier at Patreon. Uh, or if you want some exclusive content, some new, brand new, brand spanking new bonus content, uh, you want to sign up for our $5 tier, where we basically upload at least one bonus podcast at the end of every month, guaranteed. Uh, right now we are doing a mini, like a mini series read through, uh, through, uh, the Manga Marks Book Club. Uh, where we are talking about Saint Seiya, the original Saint Seiya manga from Masami Kuramata. Uh, it's my first time going through the series, as well as my friend Doctor's. Uh, it is a 100% blind read-through on Saint Seiya as we fumble through the dark and and d- d- just read as many fights as we can. It's one hell of a ride, and I've really been enjoying d- uh, reading that series in particular. And again, we, we also like to do like a bunch of one-off reviews and other interviews and stuff like whatever kind of bonus content we can put out there. Uh, that'll be available at the $5 tier once a month at the end of every month. Uh, again, all of this and more at patreon.com slash manga mavericks. It's really the best way for you guys to support us and everything we do here. And we really appreciate your patronage if you decide to sign up. As for everything else, uh, an all-comic in particular, you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash all.comic or on twitter.com slash all-comic underscore. But if you want to follow Manga Mavericks specifically, you can follow us on Twitter at manga underscore Mavericks or on Tumblr at mangamavericks.tumblr.com for all the latest updates. Uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash manga Mavericks for different excerpts of the podcast and even some exclusive content every once in a while. Again, youtube.com slash manga mavericks uh email us anything at uh, manga mavericks at gmail.com again we're really looking for feedback on the licensing portion of of this episode in particular you know just just let us know how you like the episode and uh you know if, if you didn't like it you know let us know how we can improve you know we're we're always looking for feedback on on the show and what you think and really um you know just Anything about the podcast or manga in general, you can email us again at mangamavericks at gmail.com and we will read it on the show. We love getting emails. But the most important thing, guys, is that you subscribe, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts, Uh, especially on Apple Podcasts, though. If you do listen to us on there in particular, uh, ratings and reviews like really help the visibility of our show. And, uh, you know, we're we're always just accepting feedback in general. So, you know, just let us know how we're doing and... uh, yeah, even if it's negative, we're, we're accepting of all feedback here. So, uh, yeah, definitely let us know what you think of the show. And uh, I think that's going to be about it for the show. This has been episode 132 of Manga Mavericks on allcomic.com. We will see you guys next time for episode 133. Bye, guys. Sayonara. Sayonara.